February 19, 2020. And this is part two of the top 100 matches of 2019 countdown extravaganza blowout whole shebang. I am Quentin Moody. Brock, the AFC South isn't as strong as we hoped it was. Nope. You know, uh, it's like about a blowout. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was. I hate it. <laughs> like, I'm not like. First and foremost, like I am, I am not sad that the Chiefs made the Super Bowl. That's amazing. I'm glad that they finally did after so long. Like that's a great team. I love a bunch of those guys. Um, and like I'm, I'm glad that they could get there. Stinks, stink to see our guys, our tangentially our guys, like not make it all the way. But like, what can I expect? I jinxed it. Yeah, you can't come on the podcast and totally bring up the AFC South <laughs> and then expect them to pull through here. Several days ahead, you can't be doing that shit. That's uh, on me. All right, but here we are, 50 to 26, in this installment, per usual. Uh, no lollygagging. I just got I just got off of work. Mm-hmm. I want to be I want to be done with this in time enough as to where maybe I can cook food. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. Um, Brock, you ready to go? Mm-hmm. Okay. So my number 50 is Jordan Devlin versus Shane Strickland from OTT February 3rd. From Belfast. I don't remember this match at all. Uh, yeah, I kind of forgot it happened too. It was like plop in the middle between this um between the Dave Star mm-hmm. and uh between the, between the Davis Star and Jordan Devlin stuff that was going on. I think this happens maybe like a a a week and some change before 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 that match happens because I think that Devlin Star match happens in February mm-hmm. still. So like a little bit a little bit more than a week out from that match, they had they bring in Shane Strickland in in a little bit more than the tune up match, because Shane Strickland obviously is, is a world class talent guy that's that's coming in here for for uh for Devlin. And I think on this same show there was a uh, David Starr versus Flip Gordon. Oh, so they're right. they they were so they're both given uh pretty pretty big names coming into this Belfast show to Strength to strengthen them up going into uh, I think that was home, I think that was homecoming, mm. and pretty pretty much here, a lot a lot of the stuff that I said about the Jordan Devlin versus Kyle O'Reilly match from the Super Strong Style Sixteen would apply here. It's a lot of really it's a lot of strong leg work and selling here. I think I think Shane Strickland is pretty good at this stuff. I think he's been good at that stuff for a couple for a couple of years now. Um, I think I think with Devlin, it especially could maybe get a little nauseating or might not be your thing as much as it was with like Gulak. Sure. But I I think, I think it's still really strong work here. Devlin sells his ass off and I was very happy with everything here. The finish might be a little goofy. Like it's a whole like flipping tombstone deal, but I love, I love the work in it. And I think both guys really do their jobs here. All right, my number 50, I think, is a match you're going to have higher than me. It's uh, Barbaro Cavernario versus Titan from a CML Friday show on Friday the 20th, or uh, I'm sorry, February the 22nd. Not not much higher, but a little bit, yeah. Okay. Instead, I think we can finally get around to talking about a different OTT match then, which is uh, Jordan Devlin defending the OTT World Championship against David Starr at the fifth year anniversary show. I'm not talking about this. You can go ahead. <laughs> I, it made your list, didn't it? Yeah, it did. I had it at um. It was up. Yeah, I had it at. It was like a '90s, maybe. Yeah, '92. Okay. 
Yeah, this is like a... um, To speak charitably about it, this is a very messy match. Um, It is real up and down, all over the place. Like, some of this I really like, some of this I feel kind of mixed on, some of this is just stuff that I absolutely do not like at all. Um, And that speaks to, like, the build of this that got really muddy in the last couple of months after telling um, what had been kind of like a perfect story for for about a year and a half um but at the same time this still hits on like what i've loved about this feud like what i've loved about that entire story over this year plus um like the specific style of action that these guys get into like the sort of like scrappy hard-hitting stuff um that can get kind of spotty but most of the time not too spotty for my taste um and it also it surrounds like this um this personal issue the likes of which we don't often get in pro wrestling, like this, like very, um, this very like intense interpersonal drama that is uh, directly character driven and driven by like uh, where these people are in their careers and like their relationships with other people and other promotions and all sorts of things. Um, that kind of thing is like really ambitious and doesn't always land, but like I have liked what OTT has been doing with it up to this point. Um, and on top of it all, like this crowd is super invested in this match. Uh, not everybody here is cheering for the guy who I want them to cheer for, but at the very least they are hot, hot, hot for this match. And it helps make for like one of the most memorable matches I saw in 2019 and above anything else. Like I like who wins. Um, this is not, I wouldn't describe this as like the right finish for this feud, but I think this is the right finish for where this feud has ended up. Yeah, I don't disagree with any with any of what you're saying, especially that last point of like, is it the right finish for the feud? No, no one knows. Prob probably not. But for where it wound up going, yeah, I I don't know. It's it's too messy for me to talk about. I've expressed my uh, I guess like the things that perturb me about it, mm. just in terms of like I get why the whole shift in the perception of Jordan Devlin happened. I just wish that he would have defended himself a little bit more articulately. Totally. Like yeah, it's, it's kind of a shitty thing that he, he just turns into this like mewling um, company man who like doesn't even really say a whole lot in defense of himself or that company. Yeah. Because he like more than, more than anybody, I think he has a case of actually defending himself mm-hmm. because he's the guy that's still out there working contender shows mm-hmm. and facing, facing Callum Black and, fa- and facing LJ Cleary and getting more than hype and progress and all these other places. So if, you know, it's and it, and it gets back into like, I almost hate doing that because it sounds like fantasy booking in a way. Right. But it's like, God, there's, there's such valid points that if you just at least do that, I, f- I feel like this turns out significantly differently. But I, maybe in a few years I, or some or maybe a year down the line, I do want to revisit this match. But right, but right now, it's it's a little too much for me to like even talk too much about. I think more than any other match on these lists, this is probably something we're going to be doing a podcast about in a year or two. Oh yeah, totally. This would definitely be a thing to like, like re, like revisit if the if this if this show was still going on because it's like, God, it's like, like Taylor made for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but my number forty nine, I think, is a much more pleasant match to talk about. It is Zack Saber Junior versus James Mason from Rev Pro Live at the Cockpit Forty from March thirty first. I wasn't aware that this made your list. We're going to talk about it a little later tonight. All right, cool. So instead, we can talk about uh, 
a couple of my favorite wrestlers in my number 48th ranked match. It's Shayna Baszler taking on Dakota Kai on the, uh, oh yeah, they do them live now. So the November 6th episode of NXT. Yeah, this is, this is really fun, but didn't make my list. Yeah, let's, um, like more than anything, this is just fun. Like this isn't nearly so good as the stuff that wound up being in my 2018 match of the year. Um, but uh, it's more great stuff from these two. It's more great stuff from a matchup that I really love. Like, just straightforward, like, um, dominant asshole heel versus underdog babyface match. Like, done by two people who are super good at doing that. And, like, quick little TV thing. It, it, it just perfectly aligns with, like, what I'm looking for in wrestling. And it gave me what I want. Yeah, it was... I, I, really, I really especially liked it for the storytelling device that it was at this point in time uh-huh. where okay we already established that in 20 that in uh it was 20 it was 2018 right the yeah. then 2018 that dakota had legitimate fears of Shayna, and dakota has dealt with more hardships and other battles since then that Shayna isn't really what worries her anymore it's proving it's proving herself and that was in the midst of this thing where where Rhea Ripley was announced as a team captain and didn't want her so Dakota's wanted to to prove herself and Mm -hmm. like it's it's one of those things that led to like this this heel turn where it's like a really justified heel turn where it's like yeah Dakota fuck her up (laughs) you're you're right here have you seen her as a heel yet yeah I think I think I think her work is good I think she I think she she hasn't she's like a real solid heel I don't think she's gotten the chance Right. to do to do anything yet which i'm hoping they really revisit the tegan thing sooner rather than later which they mm-hmm. um, brought it back up in the battle royal but yeah I, I hope that those two really have like a killer match because like i think i think highly of both of them so. yeah like the um i'm always very wary about wwe turning people heel who are incredible baby faces but i think like of all of the instances of that like this has been the best one so far like she is surprisingly good at this uh, and that was your 48, right? Yeah. All right. So my number 48 is Josh Alexander versus Daniel Garcia from C4 Wrestling, November 29th. All right. This didn't make my list, even though you made me furiously made me watch it at the last minute. I didn't make you watch anything. You just, you more said like. You informed me that I had to watch it. Okay. Um, Regardless of the lie that you're telling right now, I am not a big josh alexander fan i've never yeah. i never i never have been um but goddamn man josh alexander is really good in this match i was pleasantly surprised at how mean and nasty this dude was in a way where he, he's never been before in the time i've watched him he's always been a really like efficient guy a guy that gets it gets in and out has has cool has cool spots does has unique stuff but nothing that ever really sticks with me this was the first time Josh Alexander in a singles capacity has really stuck with me in every, any, anything he's done. He's mean, super stiff and petty going up against, going up against this young guy in Daniel Garcia, who's a uh, friends from the, from the buff from the Buffalo wrestling crew mm-hmm. also found success earlier on in the show. So he was hoping to come in and just keep the momentum going. And Josh Alexander just shooting him down viciously time after time in the honor those guys too they're out in the crowd and he's yeah like, about, you know, to bring, like, about to bring that up he's like he's he's talking he's talking shit to those guys while, while they're while they're selling their merch and t and uh-huh. their t-shirts it's a phenomenal performance by him 
and Daniel Garcia, someone who's been a really fun discovery for me in 2019. Uh-huh. I enjoyed his work in Limitless, the stuff like I saw from him beyond. He was a super fun guy that I was very happy to become, to become aware of. And this is his biggest moment to date, him getting this shot to be the, be a major champion in a pretty, pretty prominent indie, indie company. Uh-huh. And I think he more than stepped up, stepped up to the plate here. Great selling. He felt like he belonged. And in turn, it creates a really good moment here. Like the one criticism I have is that Josh Alexander is so good in this match that it kind of makes Garcia's win feel a little flukish, just because like Gar- uh, just because Alexander looks so strong. Sure. But in spite of that, it's a, such a good moment and really a strong cap off to a, to the year for the for Garcia and really the whole Buffalo wrestling scene that sort of took the East Coast and Canada mm-hmm. by storm. Yeah, I'm 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 with you that like I'm not super hot on Josh Alexander. I was it was funny like I was really big into him in the Monster Mafia days, like before right. they showed up in PWG. Like I I had somehow just like stumbled upon them on YouTube and became a big fan. Um, so when they were announced there, I was like, holy shit, and it was a big deal. Um, but like since then, I haven't loved him so much. But I do really like Daniel Garcia. I think he's a really solid kid. Um, and both of these guys played their roles well in this match, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. All right, so what's your 47? My 47 is a match that you mentioned on our last podcast. It's Dominic Greeny taking on Joshua Bishop in an I Quit match at AIW's Slumber Party Massacre. All right, not too far off. I had it at 53. Yeah, this was like easily one of the highlights of WrestleMania weekend. Um, if you wanted to call it a death match, which, I mean, whatever. That's a really nebulous term. What uh, is a death you... match, Brock? <laughs> A death match is a match that makes me not want to die. Okay, all right, fair enough. <laughs> it's, it's the only thing I like in the world. Um, if you wanted to call it a death match, I think it was one of the better ones of the year, if not the best. Um, it's probably the highest ranked one of anything that I would call a death match, though we're going to talk about a tag match later on that that might fit the bill. Um, anywho, like this was just this was just like violent as hell. Like I have no idea what brought these guys to this feud, but like they totally sold me on the fact that they were just complete blood rivals, um, pulling out like all sorts of fun things, um, using like old weapons, like using old deathmatch tropes in new ways, um, including <laughs> utilizing Dominic Greeny's cauliflower ears in just the grossest way possible, um, and concluding with like a hell of a finish, like a really memorable finish of Bishop threatening to light greeny on fire and causing him to quit that way like something that um has been teased before in places like wwe and has always felt kind of stale and tame because of it but here it's actually like a really exciting and, and threatening thing because you're like god damn man they might actually do it this, this was definitely one of the more surprising matches of, the, of, of wrestlemania weekend for me just because like again previously before that i had not been a big dom guy mm. and to see him thrusting into a setting like this. And granted, I did see the Dominic Greeny Tom Lawler dog collar match. That is, is, is him being in a similar situation, gimmick match, blood, all that stuff. But I think this was him, you know, taking it to the extreme here. Bare, you know, bare, bare feet, the skewers, the call the cauliflower ear, getting, getting put into play. All of it was a revelation for me when it came to Dom and what his potential in like a setting like this could be. And then Joshua Bishop turned this into, into him being one of the most prominent new, new young indie guys getting, getting, getting booked all over the place. Hmm. And I think, I think this was like, like what the main thing I want out of WrestleMania weekend matches 
is I want it to feel like something important took place. And I want it to feel like, okay, you look back on someone's career, like this match at WrestleMania weekend is like a, is like a launching pad for them. I think right. that's like historically like what I, what I look for it to be. And more than anything that was on WrestleMania weekend in 2019, I thought this match was like the perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. All right. And that was 47. Yeah. My number 47 then is Konosuke Takashita from Mike versus Michael Sadamore from DDT 624. Uh, was this that singles match on that show? The all out versus, uh, Sunday girl show. Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah. I thought I obviously bigger Takashita, Takashita fan than you are. What? And, no. Yeah. But, shocking. But Michael, Michael Sadamore is another one where we don't like, differ on it as if it's like some I don't like Michael Sotomore and you love her thing but I think in the, at least in the last couple of years you've enjoyed her more than I've enjoyed her sure. and when we get to another match of, match of hers that's well I guess a couple more matches of hers that are on my that are on my list what I found is I'm not really a big fan of like Michael Sotomore in these big title match spots anymore what I'm a fan of is her in like these sort of, sort of exhibition roles where it's not as high not as high stakes not as uh not as not as not as as based off of building it up to a certain point i think michael sadamore is really good at kicking the shit out of people and i think i think sometimes more than anything that's what i that's what i want that's what i want from her right and here she's doing that after an ex- after after a really good extended heat segment by Sakashita, I felt working on Michael working on Michael's back and really accentuating the size difference between them. Takesh- um, Michael Michael Sotomayor comes back and just kicks Takashita silly. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of, one of these roundhouse kicks one of winds up catching Takashita like right in the jaw, and I I, I, lo- I love the way this thing is paced, the way the thing is worked. Go goes goes twenty in. I, it, it feels like a breeze watching it, at least for me. It was my it was, it was my favorite of the Sendai versus All Out uh, singles matches that we had that we had on this show, mm-hmm. and I, I I thought these two were really great together. It made me yearn for maybe if if Michael got to do more cool shit when she got to when she got her little mini DDT run yeah. when she won the K when when she won the KOD and everything. It made me yearn for like. You know what if we what if we got what if we got that into like Michael versus Harashima or something like that because I felt like her run well it was cool that it happened it just kind of got wasted and I would and I would like to see that maybe rehashed down the line but you know with her connections to, to WWE now who knows and who who knows how likely that is at this point well remember DDT is a satellite fed ah uh, yeah true I forgot about that point <laughs> classic bit did you like this. Uh no, not at all. <laughs> I thought like I thought Takashita like really dragged this down and dragged someone who I like a lot down into something that I couldn't get behind whatsoever. Okay. Um we move on to forty six then. Yeah, my number forty six is a match that you just brought up a second ago. It's Zack Saber Jr. defending the RPW British Heavyweight Championship against James Mason on Live at the Cockpit forty. Alright, yeah, had this at fifty. Yeah, this is um We've talked about it. This good shit. Yeah, it's real good shit. Um, I've talked about it a little bit already, like uh, how much I like British grappling, just like how that style like speaks to me in a lot of ways, or at the very least, like this um, tribute-oriented version of it that we get these days. Um, I I I have yet to dig too much deeper into the old school stuff. Um, 
But like, what what matches like this in really just like good technical matches in a general sense, um, just from all around the world? Uh, I think what matches like this do so well is highlighting and exploring the um, the mutability and the fallibility that is having a human form that is like having a physical embodiment, um, somewhat separate, somewhat connected to like the brain, the soul, the mind, whatever you want to, whatever you want to talk about. Um, and like, whatever you want to describe, however you want to describe, like the thing that we use to, uh, speak to one another, you know what I mean? Um, and what I mean is like, you might not know what it feels like, to get stuck in like Indian Deathlock, or you might not know what it feels like to get hit with a one winged angel, but like your average wrestling fan certainly understands like, okay, if my wrist gets, if my wrist gets bent in the wrong way, like it's going to hurt. Or, um, if someone falls onto my knee in a funny way, it's going to hurt. Or, um, even, even like separate from like body image issues and, and all sorts of things like that. I think like your average wrestling fan understands what it's like to be frustrated with your body to, to feel that like you're, you're too weak in some ways or you're not physically represented the way that you think of yourself, the way that you perceive yourself inwardly. Um, and like, that can be kind of a horrifying experience that can be a really aggravating experience, but it also can be a really funny experience. And that's mostly what we get here is we get like a guy like Zach, who is like tremendously skilled in all sorts of different ways, but who is not as skilled as he thinks he is. Like that's his entire gimmick. Truthfully. Um, we see him get constantly bamboozled by someone who is much older, much more experienced in the style. Um, and who can just literally wrestle circles around him and bend his bodies in ways that he doesn't intend to. Uh, and it makes for like a really exciting match, but ultimately a really funny match, um, a really relatable match, like something that you can understand tangibly, something you can understand physically. Uh, even if you haven't been in these holds before, like you understand how it is to feel your body being pressed against you. I don't know if you ever had the experience of like growing up and playing like your playing like your dad or something and pick and pick up basketball and like you work really hard at this thing because you're because your dad just whoops your ass in basketball all the time and then you like you eventually become a basketball player that you think is pretty good pretty solid you think you can shoot mm-hmm. finish at the rim all of these things but then your dad just still kicks your ass and I think that's Zach here Zach who's like still like he's 30 years old at this point to go mm-hmm. like 30 plus but james mason is still much 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 as wiser in terms of time spent and in, in, in wrestling and everything so zach who has like all this experience like experience that most british wrestlers don't have ever yeah. like legitimate main event experience in japan in the u in the u.s indies um came up doing all the traditional british style stuff and you know became like a guy in germany like all that like despite all of that he find he finds one of these one of these british elder statesmen and he still finds himself confused and flustered and frustrated trying to figure out like what the fuck <laughs> like, what's going on here it's so, really fun yeah so i think you i think you'd hit that one out right on the head um my next one is a match you certainly have higher in the same vein as this, it's Billy Rock versus Mike Quackenbush from Bizarro mm. Lucha. Yeah, we're going to talk about that on night three. All right. So instead we can, well, I guess I can talk about 
for uh, my number 45 then, which is Kazuchika Okada versus Kota Ibushi from the G1 Climax. This was the block decider, is that right? Yes. Okay. I know I saw this, I don't have any real strong recollection of it. Um, truthfully, like, neither, neither do I. I think, uh, uh, so, like, I think Okada Ibushi, and this kind of ties into, like, their Wrestle Kingdom match from, from this year, too. Yeah. As I think, like, you know exactly what uh, an Okada versus Ibushi match is going to look like. Sure. And it might not be like the most exciting opening stages or or, or, or whatever you want to call it, but it's going to build to like these really awesome fireworks towards, towards the end. And I think it's probably the two best guys in New Japan at, at that, at that sort of thing going right now. Okada, that's obviously what his whole career has been based on, and Abushi's been really good at uh transitioning and molding into that style as the years right. have gone by. And something that something I said, um, sort of related to, to the rest to the Wrestle Kingdom match, but also to this one too, and just Okada as a whole, is that I think Okada is sort of best viewed as the as like the sort of like John Cena equivalent. Of, of of new japan just in terms of like the company vision of a, of what a match should look like goes through him so for john cena he was the face of all these transitions mm-hmm. whether it was the blood and guts gimmick match era which he like again he's very much the face of that and that in the transition into the more work into the more work rate traditional good wrestling match stuff that we saw in the 2010s whether it was that with punk with brian with owen cesaro styles Cena became the face of that too. And I think that is very much Okada for what the in-house New Japan main event should build to and look like. And for better or for worse, I think that's what Okada and Ibushi is right here. And I think it's builds really well to what is to what it's meant to be. Ibushi does his signature getting mad and beating the shit out of, shit, shit out of Okada stuff. Mm-hmm. They do some really unique and creative spots that, you know, you, you want to see these guys do. And it's not a thing that's super that's super memorable or is gonna stick with me exactly, but for I don't think there's I don't think there's a match that more enca- like encapsulates New Japan trying to be what it is currently sure. than this. Uh, yeah, I don't really have anything to add <laughs> to that. <laughs> so instead, I'll talk about a match that I don't think ended up on your list. My number 45 is Shinya Aoki defending the DDT Extreme title against Harashima from DDT's Judgment 2019. I did have it. I had it at 82. Oh, okay. Um, this is, you know, more of the same from these two. Like, they had a big match in 2018 that I really liked, and I think this one is a little bit better. Um, it has... It, they come at it in mostly the same way, but just with the added twist of exploring, like, how much Aoki has learned about pro wrestling in the, like, three or four months since that last match. He's been touring with DDT the whole time since then. Um, went through their D-King tournament, did pretty well there, and has uh, defended the belt a couple times in, in funny gimmick matches, but also in, in his, his style of, like, shooty stuff. Um, and so it, it's cool to see him come to this one and, like, subvert some tropes that are... Um, pretty common in pro wrestling, like seeing him turn uh, a, a a double knuckle lock, a a test of strength into like a triangle, just because he's got that leverage, um, or seeing him like actually do a dive off the apron for once, you know, stuff that you wouldn't think you'd ever see a guy like Shinya Aoki, you know, uh, MMA legend actually perform. 
Um, and it made for like a really, really fun match along with Harashima, a guy who I think is like one of the best wrestlers going anywhere in the world, but especially in Japan, a guy who's like really great at, um, expressing frustration in a match and finding little ways to get out of things, uh, without making it just feel like, okay, it's my turn to do moves. Like he, he's a guy who has, um, a lot of like stylistic variants and knows how to apply that in ways that feel very natural, uh, ways that make, that make for comebacks that like don't seem obvious or forced in any particular way. And he does that here against a guy who's certainly not as experienced as him in pro wrestling and, and is able to use those tropes against him and finally regain the title in, in one of the better rematches I saw in 2019. Yeah, man, I, I really, I really enjoyed this. I, it, it's just as good as like a as a map based match as you're gonna find anywhere, and right. it takes and it takes advantage of of that, and it milks every emotion and everything like that, and Harashima getting so confused and just trying to figure out a way to beat this guy, a guy that Harashima has just been so puzzled by, trying to figure out how to crack how to crack this code and. Then, Karashima has been so dominant over D- over this DDT roster for years and years and years. Finally, has someone that is just so like okay, like shit, like he's be- he's clearly better than me at this thing. So exactly, how do I approach this? And Harashima has always been a really good mat worker in his own right, mm-hmm. but like legitimate, like MMA legend <laughs> Shinya Aoki is very much better than you with that. So what do you do? You try to implement the pro style stuff a little bit more, mm-hmm. and. I, yeah, I very, I very much enjoyed this. Uh, my next match then is Jonathan Gresham versus Jay Lethal from ROH Death Before Dishonor at 44. This one did not make my list. Yeah, so shockingly enough, this might be like this might be like my second favorite match that these guys that these guys have had. Okay. Um, this had this slow building tension that was that's a little bit different and a little bit more palatable than the previous matches they had in twenty in twenty eighteen. As twenty eighteen was very much based off elevating Gresham and like the idea of Jay Lethal pushing himself, trying to trying to go against this guy that many people would consider like the best technical like technical wrestler, Matt wrestler in the world. And here in twenty nineteen, after a substantial period where these guys have Worked as, worked as a worked as a team and done all done all these things. Gresham has grown increasingly frustrated by his role, feeling like he's lethal sidekick, like lethal doesn't respect him, and all these things. So all those feelings of feeling uh, underappreciated, underrated, and all that stuff come bubbling up to Gresham, and what we get is a little bit more of a intense version of the matches they had in 2018, which is very much up my alley. You see a lot of the similar, a lot of the same ideas from the 20, from the 2018 matches explored with some, with some dueling um, leg and arm work here. And it's, it's, it's just, it's just noticeably more nasty. And you can look at the 2018 matches and see that at some, at some points while it was like very competitive, this is a much more intense feeling here, especially from Gresham, from, from Gresham who's felt disrespected and looked over during this whole thing. And you see, uh, you see a Gresham who's super conflicted at various points here, thinking about taking cheap shots at lethal, grabbing the steel chair, all the, all these things. And 
Gresham may be cracking. Like maybe he isn't as good as he thinks he is. Maybe he is. Maybe he is exactly what people are saying he is, which is a sidekick, and he is not as good as Jay Lethal, and he's just not a main. He's just not a main event level guy. But eventually, Gresham doesn't give in to these things. But you know, and, and it turns into the story about like the rest of Gresham's year. But at what cost? Mm-hmm. At what cost? Because you see, like Gresham's like psyche is definitely starting to erode here. And even after finally picking up this win, it, you know, Gresham as we knew him was definitely was definitely like a lost cause now right uh so my number 44 is a quick little match from wwe SummerSlam 2019 on the pre-show nonetheless it's drew gulak defending the wwe cruiserweight championship against oni lorkin okay yeah didn't see much 205 live this year so take this away uh yeah this was just like um a bite-sized version of a matchup that i have loved for a long time now one of the only benefits of being a CCW fan <laughs> was getting to see these guys go at it together real early in their careers. Um, so it's a bunch of like a bunch of the usual, you know, like two hard hitting, no nonsense guys like beating the shit out of each other. Um, there's a fun little wrinkle in that Gulak is a little more cowardly here than he has been before in this matchup. Um, like specifically in this run as cruiserweight champion, he was like proven to be somebody who um can get the job done but who certainly runs up into a brick wall at some point um who is like not actually as fearsome as some of the other people on 205 live and when that fact is exposed he gets really scared uh and so watching them explore that in a quick little match was real fun too um and then it ends with a memorable finish that ties into a match that we're going to talk about later on where gulak just straight up punches the dude in the throat to win (laughs) like a really (laughs) a brutal little thing that comes out of nowhere um and it makes for uh a real memorable finish that we'll talk about more later yeah man i mean i guess i have one regret i didn't i didn't really watch gulak's run so yeah maybe maybe he would have like and maybe by the time we do we don't know wrestling 100 like i'll sure. go back and look for some of the stuff so i can get him a better placement but yeah one thing one thing i didn't watch was any of gulak's run uh so my number 43 is a match that again you definitely don't have, but it's Daisuke Sasaki versus Konosuke Takashita from DDT in New York City. Okay, I'm. I don't think I watched this one. I think I watched the first title change. Yeah, the the title change match where Takashita attempts to murder a man. Yeah. Um, this, this I think this is the much better match. I think that they play off ideas here that they that they had that they have. In the first match, which goes back, which goes back to Sasaki working on Takashita's leg, and which is the only way where he can make Takashita vulnerable at all. Uh, but it's I I really enjoy Takashita selling. I think Sasaki's leg work here is really is really solid. It's a great atmosphere too. DDT's big WrestleMania weekend show in New York, and they're in was their, it big? I, I was under the impression they had like kind of a small venue. Oh, uh, they were in Laboom. Oh, okay. Yeah, they were they were in Laboom, and even if it was like a crazy crowd, I do think they like drew, drew relatively well. But like the crowd was super into everything that was going on here, and that that definitely enhanced it. It felt like watching like an authentic KOD, KOD open weight title match right there on United on United States soil, and the guy these guys built built it really well. I was very pleased with all the performances here, and. 
this definitely does bleed into other things that are more than just a match quality here. Daisuke Sasaki wins, which shocks a lot of the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, he he gets the, he gets the win here, and the fans there are totally excited because obviously with DDT in the US, like there's definitely a whole bunch of damnation fans there. But then Endo cashes in his right to challenge his right to challenge thing, and right then you see that maybe like these like cracks start to form in damnation here. Where Taki, where Endo has never beaten Takashita, but right there in a prime in a prime moment to beat Sasaki, he ta- he takes it and he winds up stealing the whole big DDT in New York weekend for himself. So on top of it being really great in ring work that I enjoy with a great performance from Takashita and my favorite Sasaki performance in like two years, it leaves you a very mem- memorable scene with. Uh, to see an Endo's first KOD open weight open weight title win. Do you have any more uh, Endo matches on your list? Oh no, I don't, I don't, no, no, not not, I, not Endo guy. I had one uh, that was like the last thing that got cut uh, due to um, the last match that I watched for 2019. <laughs> is, is it the uh, Yukio match? Uh, no, it was the match against um, uh, fuck, what's his name? Little tubby pink guy. Oh, Keisuke Ishii. Keisuke Ishii, yeah. Um, I liked that a whole bunch. And, like, I watched I watched the rest of his title reign. Like, it was really good. Like, I just wanted to talk about, like, the fact that, like, he had a pretty good title reign when I'm not sure that a lot of people expected him to. He, he's he's good, man. I, like, I, I give I give Endo a lot of shit, but he's he's good, man. I, and I was definitely, like, we'll talk about it with a match, with a match I have later on my list. Okay. But... I do think that he had more in his reign that I'm kind of disappointed like I got that it got that it got cut off. Sure. Moving on then, what's your 43? My 43 is a match I think you're going to have higher than me. It's a match coming from Progress Chapter 99. It's Cash's Ono taking on Timothy Thatcher. Yeah, I'll have that higher than you. Okay. All right then, then we can transition into my 42, a match you mentioned a little bit ago, but it's Babaro Cavernario versus Teton. From CMLL February twenty second. Okay, why don't you take it away? I mean, like you'll you'll more hear about the fact that like Dragon Lee versus Kamatachi is gonna mm. be probably more like more regarded as the big CMLL in ring feud of the decade. You might even see some people throw in that really short run of Rush versus Park at the you know in in twenty eighteen for the be- or for the best for CMLL. Might see some Las Sombras versus versus Voladors, but I think I think one that might get a little swept under the rug here is Barbara Cavernario versus Heaton. And from the time that these guys first wrestled each other back in 2014, it's been routinely one of my favorite pairings every time in CMLL. And in this, you know, both both of their careers have have waxed and waned. Where at one point Heaton looked like he was poised to be one of the tippy top like elite technicos in the company and Barbaro Cavernario was still stretching his legs to try to figure out exactly what his place was going to be and now these like these four these five years later Cavernario is essentially in theory the, the top Rudo with CMLL who no yeah. one no one like no one really knows now and, with with Roosh gone definitely yeah yeah but they don't treat him like it sometimes <laughs> it's like and then and then Teton hasn't Really brick bro- broken through at all, but he's a still he's still a guy that's going to be given a couple title matches a year, and he's a guy that takes advantage of his opportunities. And right here, 
that you just gotta we just gotta watch it to see it man it's really just <laughs> comfort food wrestling to me at least it's something i'm familiar with something that i love is cavernario being great is tn having his incredible signature spots it all flows really well the crowd is super the crowd is super into it and it's a it's one of those foolproof matches for me where it doesn't get the tour the same way that obviously babaro and Soberano has got has gotten to do with their match. Yeah. It's not nearly as intense as that match either. It's not nearly as intense as like Babaro versus Dragon Lee. But I think if I still had to pick who my favorite Babaro Cavanari op- opponent is, I'd probably still tell you Tien, and I'd probably point to this match as the why. Yeah, I wouldn't be that high on it, but like at the same time, I did like this match a lot. Um, I have never particularly cared for Titan. Uh, I think he's like he does a lot of exciting things, but he he's never been a guy who's made me care about him. Like he's not um he he's not as charismatic as I'd like. He doesn't make me uh view him sympathetically in the same way that other people do. Like, he's just kind of a guy who does moves. But like with uh uh with a Rudo like Cav, like it makes for a real fun match, like where I just want to see the other guy beat the shit out of Cav just because Cav is like such a big obnoxious heel. Um and it, it pairs real well with a guy who um, is all flash and no substance and kind of gets like a, uh, a, a an added bit of direction from just working with this other dude. Was, so you just like never like never really been big into Titan even going back to like the 2014 stuff they had together? Um, I don't think, truth be told, I'm not sure that I've ever seen the 2014 stuff that you're referring to. But yeah, like going back to when I first saw him, I think... Um, with like that big title match versus Virus in 2014 or 2013, somewhere around there. Like, yeah, I just I never really cared for the guy. Okay, yeah, it, it seems like a guy that like, like yeah, like you're very, very surface level and kind of like has this like like very reliant on his like signature spy stuff. But I think he's I, I always thought he was good fun. But all right, um, that's 42 for me. What do you got next? My number 42 is a uh, a perfect match, some would say. It's uh, Jonathan Gresham and Jushin Liger taking on the Bullet Club team of Taiji Ishimori and Robbie Eagles from ROH Honor Rising 2019 Day 1. Alright, between Honor Rising and Takataichi Mania popping up on your top 100, then I think you're clearly the bigger the bigger New Japan fan, fan out of the two of us. <laughs> well, it's it's it's... I like the weird stuff they do. Like, <laughs> this is not, like, if you asked a New Japan fan, like, what a New Japan match looked like, it doesn't look like this. Fair, fair. But go but go ahead here, because I don't think I watched uh, it. Yeah, it's, um, so it starts with, like, five-ish minutes of, of Gresham and Eagles rolling around, having one of only two matches that they have had ever, both of which have made my list. We're going to talk about them later. <laughs> um, and they're just magical together. Like they're both, they're both like really experienced, really, um, uh, well-versed students of technical wrestling. They're kind of like, like, like opposite sides of the same coin. Like obviously like, sure. like with Gresham being in the U S and Robbie's being in Australia, like, but they're like so similar. <laughs> they're, they're very similar and they mesh together super well, especially in a, in a scenario like this where like, uh, Cork and Hall wants to cheer on the guy that they're more familiar with, uh, with Gresham here. Um, and they want to see him overcome and befuddle this mean, loudmouthed little white guy who's in the Bullet Club. And they give him five minutes of that, and it's just a delightful little thing. Um, and then Liger and Ishimori tag in, and for a second I go, oh no, they're going to ruin the match. And then Liger immediately just rolls up Ishimori and wins. 
and the match ends like five and a half minutes and <laughs> the young boys drag away the heels who are just like screaming and throwing at the biggest tantrum and Corkin is losing it and it's it's amazing like it's it's just a perfect little match it, do, it makes no mistakes it gives me exactly what I want out of all of this and it's just it's tons of fun yeah, it definitely sounds like something that's right that's that's right up your alley. Mm-hmm. So it's, I'm I'm glad I'm glad you enjoyed that. That's a nice little hidden gem there. Uh, my number forty one. Uh, you mentioned a match previously from this pairing, but I'm not sure this match in particular made your list. It's Andrade versus Rey Mysterio from SmackDown January fifteenth. Yeah, this is so. This is the just the the regular singles match, right? Yeah, the one fall. Yeah, the two out of three falls made my list earlier, and it didn't make yours. I think. Yeah, and then, then it looks like this one didn't make your list. Yep. Okay. Um. Uh, yeah, this one blew. This one blew me away. This one is like for sure. If I had to like pick like a main roster TV match of the year, like it, it, it it's this for me. Not like it. Not like it would have had too much competition. <laughs> sure. But yeah, man, this is as smooth and mean, and it's just like authentic as you can as you can get with like WWE trying to like mimic trying to like mimic and like almost like pander to a certain like demographic and style it's so like real and authentic feeling sometimes like like you almost forget it's WWE just because like <laughs> these guys like work it in a way that's so WWE it's not mm-hmm. like there's no there's no there's no point where it like cuts off or a very WWE heel segment it just flows through in a way that you would expect a lightning match or a typical two or three falls match in, Mex- in Mexico to do so. And it escalates, it escalates in similar ways. The transition spots are similar and just as creative, like the way Andrade throw, throws, throws right, throws right out of the ring or Ray's Rana's that Andrade bases so extremely well for. Mm-hmm. It's also crisp and good looking in just makes me all so much more frustrated that for some reason they just decided to muddy this thing up instead of having it end in a clear, decisive way because these two are magic together. Uh, watching Ray, like he, Ray's been a guy that has had matches pop up on my, on my, on my list before, but I think seeing him now go do it in WWE. When I think a lot of people who weren't watching Ray, excuse me, whether it was Lucha underground or his, uh, what culture what culture uh what culture world cup run they might have just assumed that Rey Mysterio was washed and he hasn't been having good matches right. i think i think this was a big turning point for people that saw ray and they were like oh shit like no ray's still really good which you know just goes back to his cases of all timer where despite all the injuries and all the people saying that ray is washed and ray has no knees like ray comes back and has the tv match of the year hmm stinks also that they have decided to put these two back together and totally fuck it up again oh my god did you yo, when you see that match i, I don't know man <laughs> that finish pissed me off so fucking much such a bizarre thing <sighs> go ahead. yeah go ahead uh my number 41 is a match you're gonna have higher than me it's they might be giants the tag team of cabana man dan and marco stunt taking on violences forever dominic greeny and kevin Koo at sups uh those who fear tomorrow yeah, that's going to be a night three boy. Um, so instead we can talk about a match that really like, like all these, they all these blend together in a way, but I feel like this, this 
program has to be represented as some in some way on my top 100. It's Zack Sabre Jr. versus Kota Ibushi from the New Japan Cup, March 16th at my number 40. Okay, yeah, this one really does blend together and did not make my list. Yeah, like the, so that's like that's the main problem with these is that yeah, I'm I would still tell you that Zack versus Kota Ibushi is probably my favorite pairing. In like in like in New Japan, really? But, it's not it's not Zach versus Sonata. No, no, no. <laughs> like I, like I would like I would still tell you that it's probably Zach versus Coda, but the problem is is I think, and again, like it's, it's not necessarily their fault because they work in a style that isn't very conducive to like different like like di- like like differentiating their matches. Like a lot of this this relies on like a lot of mat work from Coda. Um, it's really like slow and plotting a lot of the times and Zach picking his spots and everything. So I can like, and I, and when I think about it, like it's still, it makes the case for like the um, one core can match they had even stronger just because I think that one is so much more memorable than I, than I think, than I think the rest of them are, but still like, I, I still really like these two together. It's slick mat work. It's mean striking. Zack Sabre Jr. throws in throws in some good some good limb work here that Kota Ibushi does do a good job of of selling it. Not super crazy, but he does acknowledge sure. it throughout the time. And I love the fact that Zack always seems to have Kota's number. These these guys go back and forth all the time. And Zack doesn't get to get the best of many people in New Japan all the time at the in New Japan too much at the moment. But him and Kota Ibushi whenever you never whenever you see these two in the same bracket same field or whatever you know that there's always a chance that Kota Ibushi could wind up falling to Zack and you know I'm always, I'm always down to watch these two wrestle some more the only downside is that these matches blend together a lot yeah I don't I I truly couldn't even tell you the first thing about this one um but that at least makes it better than some of the later ones that they have that stick out in my mind in a really bad way all right my number 40 is a match that's I don't think it's actually going to make your list, even though it was a long-awaited title match between Yuji Okabayashi and Takuya Nomura fighting over the BJW Strong World Heavyweight Championship at Osaka Surprise 42. Okay, wow, you're going to be surprised I have it higher. Okay, so... All right, then. Um, My number 39 is a match you might have might have higher. It is Sari versus Michael Sanamura from Sendai Girls, April 16th. Yes, that is, as you described, a Night 3 boy. Uh, and instead, we can talk about a match that I think came up on your list in our last podcast. It's Shayna Baszler defending the NXT Women's Championship in a steel cage match against Io Shirai. You know, I had that done at 98. Wow, really? 98? I, I, could, I, 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 I probably could have had it higher, but... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I, this is just, like, it's, it's, it's two intense women beating the shit out of each other. Like, what else could you want in life, you know? Um, it, this was, like... 2019 was a rough year for both of these women in various different ways. Um, and I was glad to see them have like this kind of a match, like this really uh, memorable, exciting match on TV. No less, not in, not in like a big takeover that is like marred by weird production that always sticks out to me in silly ways. Um, their TV is a little less, um, a little less synthetic, I would say. Um, and a big thing that like has marred, um, Baszler's 2019 was like an increased reliance on interference by her friends Jessamyn Duke and Marina Shafir. Um, but here, those two interfere in 
probably the best interference spots that WWE has seen in years. Uh, they both take like a really mean cage shot to the face. Uh, Shafir also takes like, honest to God, the craziest crossbody I've ever fucking seen um, from Candice LeRae off the top of the cage. Like just, it looks like it breaks her back in half. It's this, it's this craziest thing. Um, and it all concludes with like, after like all of this awesome action, like it, it concludes with this like really mean finish that is like just the right sort of mean that I can actually like it. Um, with uh, I think it was I think it was like Eo trying to crawl out of the door, and Shana comes up behind her and locks in the carefoot clutch, and Eo grabs the steel cage door and like swings it to to hit Shana in the face with it. Oh my god. <laughs> And she does it hard enough, like, she does it really hard for one, but she does it hard enough that Sheena is, like, knocked loopy and just kind of falls out of the ring before her. And it's just, like, such a, such a bitter thing. But, like, as much as, as much as a lot of people rightfully hate, like, WWE heel finishes, this was one that I actually really liked. That I thought, like, worked in a really fun way. That worked in a really innovative way. And it, it capped off, like, the best match that either of these women had all year. Yeah, um... This is this is fantastic. I loved it. Like I said, I probably could have justified having it higher, but mm. it was like that finish, especially that cage door shot. So mean. Just, oh, <laughs> like I was legitimately like worried for Shayna, and I'm not someone that like I got uh-huh. so, like I see certain things and like like I'm like you know, like, you know no, shame on me for this, but like I'm not someone that looks at something <laughs> you don't care about other people. <laughs> yeah, but like, I'm like like oh man, that must have really sucked. But like that cage shot I was like oh shit, it's <laughs> Shayna okay word yeah um but my number 38 is a match that just recently i was shocked and appalled to realize that you were not a fan of and more than anything made me realize that you have no soul brock (laughs) it is kaisa washita versus ut from dragon gate january 13th oh right yeah this did not make my list uh you suck because I do, not for this reason, but yes. But like, okay, like I, maybe the context helps a lot for me. Is okay. that remember, like this is a no early part of the year. Dragon Gate is still figuring itself out, mm-hmm. and you're still like, you're still in the wake of the Stronghearts crew leaving, and Pack like Pack is Pack is new is the new is a, is the new Dreamgate champion, and right. everything is still in flux. And you know, Ben you know, Ben K still isn't established. All these mm-hmm. guys are still like fighting for their spots and fighting for their keep. And if you go back to twenty seventeen when we were you know, per, like, you know, just profusely uh going on about Takahiro Yamamura. Yeah. This was a lot of why we were praising him, is that going out there and a young guy taking advantage of an opportunity and clearly impressed the people that were running Dragon Gate because that guy got so many chances in Kurokin and became like pretty much Mr. Kurokin and for Dragon Gate at that um in that year. Totally. And Dragon Gate found themselves in a similar necessary spot where they needed to create people that were viable and needed to, needed to create them now. So they do this rookie tournament thing, rookie tournament deal. So semifinals, Kaito Mishida and UT meet up and I kind of UT. UT. Poor UT, not a not a rookie at all. Yeah, like, like should look, not be in this. <laughs> like I feel bad for UT, but like look, <laughs> it is what it is at this point. True. And I, it's it's two hungry guys that go up there mm-hmm. and work a show stealer match. And 
that's always gonna that's always gonna be something I have a soft spot for. It's why like it's why like when people like rag on Davy Richards years down the line, like I get it, but I'm always a fan of a guy trying to make something of himself and like leave a lasting impression and try to break through that like that like that like that next level and like and like try to and try to get something out of this and ut has been spinning his fucking wheels in drag sure. gate literally doing nothing for years and here he is getting this shot to like bust through that glass ceiling and they take full advantage of it it turns into a big year for kaito Ishida. he get he's in the twin gate title picture eventually was eventually was the brave gate ut gets a shot at the brave gate at um at dead, at dead or alive and his year doesn't doesn't pan out as strongly as Ashida's year but it's a match i really enjoy just based off the in-ring merit i think the armor i think the armwork here is good i think that i think they're really stiff with each other i think they're really mean i think they're really intense i like all of that stuff but just for the fact in context like it was a match out of necessity for both the mm-hmm. company and these guys involved and it's just such a home run that i that i couldn't imagine not having it yeah it just it just did not stand out to me in any particular way like it, it didn't feel as like you're talking about how like intense it is and and all these things and like it just it it didn't live up to any of those adjectives for me um in the way that like other young guys in the company are doing currently like guys like uh shun skywalker and to a lesser degree ben k are actually like are actually impressing me like th- this one I, and it it didn't help that like this had been such a hyped match that i came to like almost a full year later oh yeah totally. so yeah so like that's always gonna work against it but like I watched this and I was just like, oh, this was it? And, you know, that's, I can never respect a match like that. Did you see Ishida versus Shun in the in Kurokin? I watched, I think, half of it. I didn't finish it. Did you think that, did you think that was, like, much better around the same ballpark? Yeah, it, was, it seemed better to me, like, it, at least, if for no other reason than, like, Shun was in it. And I like Shun a lot. You're right, fair enough there. Then we can move on to your pick. My number 38 is a match that I don't even know that you saw. I don't know that anyone saw this, truth be told. Uh, I, I saw absolutely no buzz for this match. It's Ultimo Guerrero taking on Jonathan Gresham at ROH Unauthorized. When I was doing my last minute Gresham binge for the art for uh, Wrestle of the Year stuff, I saw this and I thought about it and I, and I, and I didn't watch it. You did watch it? No, so I thought, I thought about watching it, but I, I, okay. I, I, I never did. Um... I loved it. Like it was, it was a dream match that like totally delivered. Like it maybe not didn't deliver like the all time great thing that like people expect dream matches to be. Um, rather it, it delivered like exactly what I want to see from these guys and what, at least in like a first time meeting, I would want to see from these guys together. Um, you get a little bit of mat work, a little bit of fast paced stuff, a little bit of like high flying with some of UG's incredible basing, uh, lots of just like Rudo personality. This is right around the time that Gresham is like actively turning heel. Um, so he's like more than willing to bend the rules and fuck around with a guy who has made an entire career on that. Um, and all of this stuff is just like so slick, so colorful, like so endearing and exciting. Um, in addition to that, there's like, there's a lot of like fun little tertiary elements here. Um, the whole gimmick of this show is like Colt Cabana booked it, I think. And at the very least, he's acting as the host. So he's like sitting up at a table on the stage and like offering an occasional funny comment throughout the night. Um, and so replacing him on commentary with Ian Riccoboni was Joe Hendry, who decided to sing in rhyming couplets for everything he said on commentary. And I thought it was just kind of cute and charming. And it all, it all blends together 
into like just a terribly enjoyable experience that like could have been so much less like there's so many different ways this thing could have gone wrong but it didn't like it was it was everything that i wanted what was it like you, you said dream match there is, is it a thing where because like so i think dream match gets, gets thrown around like really loosely a lot of the time I'm not sure. saying that you are here, but isn't the thing where you saw it on paper and you're like, oh, holy shit, like, like, like Gresham versus Ultimo Guerrero? Or was it like a thing that in your head for a while you're like, man, you know what would rock? Gresham versus Ultimo Guerrero. <laughs> no, I think it was more the former. It was just one of those things where, like, I never considered that this could happen. And when I was made to consider it by, like, seeing it on, on you know, a match listing somewhere, I was like, Oh holy shit! Yeah, that would probably rule. I hope that I hope that delivers, and it it totally did. All right, my next one is Kenta versus Zack Sabre Jr. from the G One Climax, August tenth at thirty seven. Mm, I don't recall if I saw this. Um, this is my favorite match of that uh of that night of the G One. Oh, and I re- recently rewatched it. You know, with a with a with a long of uh, a lot of other stuff on my list here, and. A lot of the a lot of the time with G one matches, you're like, like, like I'll like I'll get done and go through my list for like my list for the year and everything that I have like on my on my sheet. I'm like, man, like, what what like what was this match? Let me, let me go like let me go back and watch it again. Totally. And I think with G with the G one like being just like so full of like wrestling that I would consider good for like a th- for like a thirty month stretch, like you get like really numb to it. So when you yeah. go back to it, at least though you know five six months down the line and like isolated and just watch that one match like you're like oh shit like that was really awesome and that happened with me with Shingo, with Shingo versus Naito and it's happening to me again here with the Zack versus Kenta match uh Kenta fantastic G1 in my opinion not sure. like not like a you know oh my god like he had the best matches in the in the in the world thing but Kenta slowly but surely found his groove and did things more rooted in character that I liked. Now, I liked Kenta in WWE and the chances that he got. I liked the Bobby Roode match from Chicago. I liked the eventual heel turn and that and getting the stuff with uh with Cassiano and Alistair Black. So I knew I knew going into the G1 with Kenta what his strengths are, and that is more telling a story. And getting and getting, and getting uh, people invested as the match as the match goes along, and obviously here Zach has had a super strong G one here, uh, a lot of temper tantrums, a lot of being upset because Gato likes seeing like like seeing Zach lose. Yeah, but they go out there on the last night of the G one. Neither guys neither guys in contention anymore, and they beat the ever living shit out of each other. It is nasty. There's a lot of kicks, a lot of chippiness. Uh, Kenta has Zach Zach pinned against the ropes, and it's sort of like Zach is a de facto babyface kind of, because Kenta takes Kenta takes a swipe at him, and Zach is like, "Hold on, hold on, we're we're doing this. We're not. I didn't know this was going on now." And you throw in a little bit of, a little bit of arm work here, and some nasty striking and some good transitions, and you have what is still for me probably my favorite Kenta match in New Japan to date. Also throw in the little wrinkle of obviously like Kenta is, you know, he's synonymous he's synonymous with Pro Wrestling Noah. That's where that's where Zach got his start um in Japanese sure. wrestling. So yeah. it's it's just sort of a, like a cool little thing to see these guys eventually clash in a G one. Especially when when in Zach's time in Noah, he spent it he spent it as a junior. 
So seeing these guys eventually like link up, link up again is super cool there. And it just continues this transformation from this like, oh my God, Kenta, it's like really, it's really cool to see him to, oh man, Kenta's, Kenta's kind of a dick. And obviously that's like, that's fully fulfilled by the end of the G1, but yeah. I, I, I really like this. Yeah. It's weird to think that he wasn't a heel at this point. Yeah. But he was slowly turning by the time, um, like the big, the big one for me was the Kenta versus, uh, versus evil match I had to have in Corkin where Kenta just soaks up, soaks up all the, boo- all the booze there. And I think that's when I realized like maybe Kenta's going to turn heel. But even then, like I wasn't like, all right, bullet sure. club for him. Then like, then it happens. It's like, all right. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> hmm. uh, my number 37 is a match that I'm pretty sure you already said didn't make your list. It's Chihiro Hashimoto defending the Sendai Girls World Championship against Sari, who's defending the World Woman Pro Wrestling Diana World Championship at uh, Sendai Girls Big Show in Niigata 2019. Yeah, saw it was a good match didn't think nearly as high of it as other people did so take it away uh yeah like this is just um i don't know i like this fed a lot i like how they approach wrestling i think it i think it differs meaningfully from like the rest of the joshi style um something we're going to probably talk about at some point here with a match on your list um the big problem the last time around with these two in their match in January, this one is in June. Uh, the big, the big problem last time around was that they had a really slow start and it ramped up in a real crazy way toward the end, but it made for like kind of a mixed match. Um, here they start going at it, uh, pretty quickly, um, and keep up a good pace the entire time through. And so it, it means that we don't have that like insane ramp up toward the end, but like at the, in a general sense, like it's a lot more of a um, enjoyable match all the way through. Tremendous, like clash of styles between these two people. Like um, Chihiro's like big heavyweight slams and her wrestling ability going up against like the lightning fast strikes from Sari and her like her little bits of high flying. Like it just makes for a fun clash of styles that I appreciated a whole bunch and um, made for. I think my favorite Japanese title match of the year. I'm not sure if I have anything ranked ahead of this. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, for, for what it's worth, this is probably my favorite of the of the matches they had that I yeah. that I saw. Um, it's, it's it's good, but there's not not enough to crack my 100. Uh, so but this isn't your highest ranked Sari match. It looks like. Nope. Okay. Uh, my number 36 then. Is David Starr versus Jordan Devlin from Progress Super Strong Style 16 Day 3, the finals of the tournament. I got a couple minutes into this one before shutting it off, so you're going to have to tell me about it. Oh, was there any reason why you shut it off? I think it just it was one of those things, like, I was watching it toward the end of the year, and I was like, if this doesn't grab me immediately, then I'm not going to waste time on it. Um, yeah, for, for, for my money, this is probably the best in-ring match these guys have had together as far as like i'm just like going purely off of in-ring merit here and just what i thought of like okay. the work and the action and not like relying too much on like other like storytelling devices i think this sure. was probably the best match they've had um and i'm counting the match they had they had, they had in 2017 too and i i think this this is sort of babyface versus babyface in a sense but what I like here is that while progress isn't, isn't like actually like isn't like really going into like oh man these guys have like a big history like like they're not like leaning into it super hard yeah. but the crowd knows the crowd pays attention OTT has be, has become the new darling of Europe so everyone knows 
what's going on between them. So when they clash, it's not like some alternate universe where suddenly Devlin and Star don't have a beef. It's they see each other and we're like, okay, we like we we still understand how big this is. And that's a really cool thing I think I, I like about this match. I feel like in, in previous times when a guys who who might be embroiled in like a bitter feud go ahead and take this to like another promotion where it's like so based off like story and it's not less like a legendary in-ring feud going on it's like an actual story with the heel turn and everything else that like that followed it it's like imagine like imagine trying to take like a will like a will osprey and jimmy havoc master rev pro right and and, and like and like seeing how the crowd crowd would react there i don't i don't think they'd react in a, in a, I think they'd be confused. Like, why, like, why is this happening at Refro? This doesn't make sense. Like, this isn't what we do here. But I think as the scene in Europe has become like more and more, um, com- more, com- more, more combined and homogenous in, in some ways, it's like the crowd. It all blends together for them. And sometimes that kind of sucks. And I think, but sometimes I think that blends that 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 bleeds into a thing like this, where I think it's really awesome. And Devlin has this leg injury going into the final that he sells really well throughout it, but he does it in a, again, more subtle and extreme way. It's presented as an idea where it's still injured, but time has passed since the match, so it's not as hurt as it used to be. David Starr is aware of the injury. He goes after the leg. The finish involves the finish involves the leg, and you know, just from start to finish, I love the work here. Um, something that misses that you don't really get in there. OTT work from 2019 is that because they're so embroiled in a bitter feud and they work it exactly to what the feud is, which is a lot of punches, a lot of striking, no real, I'm better than you. Let's do some mat work kind of shit because they're in a different company. They get to show that stuff off a lot more. And those two have phenomenal chemistry doing that stuff. Sure. And I, I was just really pleasantly surprised, like pleasantly happy and all that stuff to see that these guys even embroiled in like this blood feud and everything, they can go to a different company and they can keep that same intensity, but keep it in the confines of like, okay, who's going to win this tournament? And I think, I think the way they executed all that was really great to me. Okay. That was your uh, number 36. Uh, yeah. Okay. So my number 35 is a match that I don't think you even saw. It's a tag match coming from Pro Wrestling NOAA, and specifically one of the Segura Goon produce shows. It's Takashi Segura and Kazushi Sakuraba taking on Kazuyuki Fujita and Hideki Suzuki. I did not see this one, but it sounds like it rolls. It yeah, it was it was super fun. Like just a um a delightful star studded tag team match that mostly holds up. Like um understandably like the full timers, the guys who have been wrestling full time for the last 10 years <laughs> um, are the ones who like buoy this thing and uh, Sakuraba and Fujita like when they get the chance like really get to show off their stuff in fun little uh, bursts here and there um, flashbacks to like when they were some of the most exciting wrestlers in the world you know um, most of this is like technical stuff most of this is mat based stuff but like there's also a whole bunch of like striking and slamming and a bunch of just like uh, these guys chewing the fat, like these guys, like really showing off their charisma. Like these are these are people with some like big personalities, um, and getting to see them just like all butt heads in what was kind of a surprisingly long match. Like this goes to twenty minutes before it gets to a fuck finish. Um, 
they get plenty of time to like do their thing, and it made for like one of the more pleasing tag matches I saw. Yeah, like on paper, this sounds really fun. I like all the names involved in it. Um, out of curiosity, did you wind up seeing because uh, um Kazuki Fuj- um Fujita versus uh Shohei Tanaguchi? Yes, and I didn't much care for it. Um, Tanaguchi oh, okay, because is... that would that would um and yeah, but like that was a match that like people were going crazy for so it, I was like, and i understand why like uh, there was there was stuff in it that would have appealed to me but like i don't like tanaguchi i don't think he was great in that and fujita is now at a uh at an age like at a point in his career that like he can't really carry a match on his own not a singles match at the very least oh, t- yeah totally so my number 35 is mark davis versus michael sanomara from bike club pro international attackers i watched this and i thought it was pretty okay but i uh i don't remember a whole bunch about it yeah, man, for me, this is the best Mark Davis performance I've ever seen. Probably, uh, yeah. For Maiko, this is one of my favorite Maiko performances that I've seen in a long time, and that goes along with her, with her 2019, where I thought she was just phenomenal in it. And Mark Davis, if you again, if you recall, like me and you were having, like, like having, having conversations like this, too, where Kyle Fletcher and Davis turned heel, it was really alarming how quick Fletcher took to it and Davis was still trying to figure it out because he was still trying to figure out like how do I be a bad guy and all and all these things and when I left off in my viewing of Fight Club Pro that was still my image of Davis as a heel so I'm going back and I'm like okay it's getting towards the end of the year let me go and try and like knock some Fight Club Pro stuff out just to see if like anything makes a difference for like some key guys or whatever Mm -hmm. and throw this on and you get this like fantastic control from from Mark, from Mark Davis. I thought just real shitty to Maiko, real mean, real mean to her. Talking talking a lot. Mark Davis has this fucking sneer and dickish look on his face now that he just didn't have before. He has his confidence right. in the role now, and I'm eating I'm eating this up. I'm really astonished at how good Mark Davis has gotten at this heel thing, and. Like obviously, like the like a big thing here is the size disparity. Dunk is a huge fucking guy, <laughs> a huge dude, and the Michael the Michael Satomura is, is is small. She's a she's she's very short, but Michael has a very credible and believable orator, which is why stuff like her versus Takashita works, which is why her going up in anywhere and having working intergender matches always works. But specifically here, what they do is. After Mark Davis has this like really good control working on Michael, Michael fires up, and eventually this turns into a DDT, a DDT on the ramp, as to where Davis comes back and he's all bloodied up, mm-hmm. and now you're like, oh okay, like like where like where's this gonna go? And it takes a really unconventional turn as to where like the heel of the match is now selling and is the one in peril as Michael Sadamore just beats the ever living shit out of Mark Davis. And he's selling his ass off. He's mm. wobbly. Looks like he's looks like he's concussed. He is losing. He's losing blood. Obviously, you know, fake blood because he's a coward. But it's 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 good stuff, man. I love I love the way he sells this beat down. I love Michael's viciousness in this control. Uh, gets a little gets a little weird with stuff that I don't particularly like. Table spot. Um, you know, Death Valley Death Valley, Death Valley driver off the apron through a table for. No real reason at all, but it's it, but it's built too well. It's cool. 
all yeah. that all that stuff. And when Mark Davis wins, and I think it's a real testament to Maiko and like how well how much she's respected and how much of an impact it felt like people like people felt she made in her time working in Europe is that Mark Davis, this big gigantic dude who's gonna be your Fight Club Pro champion and have all these matches going forward, is that it felt like when he beats Maiko, he just had the fight of his life. Hmm. He just barely gets by gets gets by her. And I'm just really glad that Michael built built up that that kind of equity with uh with with that with that audience over there, and it's believable that Mark Davis was in the fight of his life because Michael Sotomayor is one of the best wrestlers of all time, and it's mm-hmm. believable that this guy like once he beats Michael Sotomayor, it's like oh man who's who's gonna beat him because Michael Sotomayor looked incredible in that match, and then Mark Davis somehow won that and. For for all those reasons, I really liked it, and it was one of my favorite title matches of the year. Hmm. Uh, my number thirty four is a match that I think, based on how you talked about the last Barbaro Cavernario match, I don't think you're going to have on your list. It's that dude taking on Mystico on a CMLL Friday show from May the twenty fourth. No, um, really impressive performance, but. Mm-hmm. I think that like that's it more than anything. Like I'm really impressed by that performance, and it wasn't to get on my list. Yeah, this was um, this was the highest ranked of all my Cav matches. Um, like uh, just a great beatdown from him. Like most of the usual stuff that is like heightened a little bit, just because like Mystico is so good at bumping and selling. Um, probably better at bumping and selling, I would say, than like anybody else Cav has faced in 2019. Uh and his comebacks specifically are like amazing. Like watching him, like uh, watching him like fly through the air in this in this match was like truly a a breathtaking experience. Um, pulling out like these tijeras and this classic hurricane rana, and especially this big quebrada that sends him like careening into the um, into the barricade. Like it was all just like the craziest stuff. Um, and it really highlighted like one of my favorite things in lucha libre, which was like which is like this this immediate shift in this momentum like watching a guy especially a guy like Cavanario um watching him like just rule the roost like and come across as like this absolute world beater this person who couldn't possibly lose in this match this guy who's just like steamrolling his opponent so well and then out of nowhere there's just this camera cut to somebody like blazing out of the ring and hitting like this topic on Hilo and it's just like the most exciting thing in the world that immediately changes uh the course of the match like that's that's something you get a lot in pro wrestling from all around the ro- from all around the world but i don't think it's I don't think you get it better than anywhere uh, than in Lucha Libre, and I think this was a great example of it. Yeah, man, I actually, I actually really like Mystico, and I felt like he was got he like I understood that he was rough when he first got when he, when he first started getting um, the gimmick and gimmick and CMLL, but the, I think the dude's been good since, since 2016, man. Totally, yeah. And I and I and I was very happy to see that he got a match that got like praised, but it was very much praised for Cavanario. And you know, even even by me, even by me, and even like, like I'll t- I'll take some fault in that, but I was just glad to see the guy like have something that people really sunk their teeth into because he's a, he's someone that was steadily improving for years, and then like felt like he never got rewarded for it. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad I'm glad it's on your list. And as I recall, this was like one of the times that Arena Mexico most latched onto him. Yeah, like, fam- <laughs> famously, do not like this guy at all. But like here, they were they were pretty well behind him. All right, so my number 34 is Jay White versus Will Ospreay from the New Japan Anniversary Show. 
Oh, okay, I didn't. I don't think I watched this one. Um. So our pal JML actually like for a long time was saying that this is like a. I don't. I don't want to misquote him, so I'm gonna go like more general here, but more like a top ten match, like a top ten match of the year for him. I think. I think. I think what I think would be safe to say. And I had seen it, but like not really. So I had like a not. I had. I had like a no rating behind it in my spreadsheet for a long time. Sure. And then I went back to it for rest of the year purposes for Jay for the for Jay and Will. And man, I was pleas- I was pleasantly surprised at how good I thought this was. Jay and Will had a really good match back in back in twenty seventeen, um, in Ring of Honor when Jay was still back on his excursion. And a lot of what I praised that match for was it felt was it was really exciting and it felt like that's what Ring of Honor should be and should have always been is young guys going out there and taking advantage of opportunity and totally. the crowd and the crowd reward, rewarding them for that. And here a, f- a couple years later, they're both, they're both, well, Osprey more than Jay in some ways, but they're both established guys, both established guys, Jay, the heavyweight champion, Osprey, the junior heavyweight champion as, as tradition, usually with these anniversary anniversary shows. Oh, and also never champion, right? Um, at this time. Oh yeah, shit. You're right. You're right. It was actually yeah. It was actually never versus uh, never versus uh, the IWGP heavyweight. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, okay. but well, but well, and Jay going in there, and I I didn't know what to expect from it. This is this is a different. These are different versions of these guys mm-hmm. than they were a couple of years ago, and what we got here was Jay doing what Jay does best and what Jay did best all throughout 2019. He's super, he's super focused and really mean when he finds something to focus on in that match. And in it, in this one with Osprey, it was Osprey's back and the big, the, the big transition spot here is Osprey going for a dive and Jay white catching him and just, Putting him guardrail or putting him back first into a guardrail. It mm-hmm. looks and sounds nasty. And from there you get a really mean extended control from Jay on Will's back. Jay is smir- Jay is smirking. Jay has a shitty grin on his face. It's also before Jay has his beard. Mm-hmm. So Jay just looks especially shitty right now. Doing doing all this smiling and laughing as he's uh as he's torturing Will. And um, the, I guess the big thing here with like his big thing here will be how you think of Will selling, and I thought I thought Will sold really well here. I think Will sells his back more than he better than he sells like his arm or his leg or whatever. I or think his I, neck. yeah, I think yeah, I think I think he, I think that stuff is more up. I think this stuff this stuff is more up his alley, and the the comeback here is really is really strong. I love their version of the new of the new Japan finishing sequences. It's 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 the same sort of like smooth or mm. what you what you or what some people might call clunky looking uh trades and reversals, but I think with these guys it just feels fresh and unique in a way in a way where it's like you know what's you know what's coming when you see like Okada Osprey on paper. Like what's right. what's like what's Osprey gonna counter it to? Oh, he's gonna counter it to a Spanish fly, or oh, he might counter it to his flippy power bomb thing. Like you know what to expect here with Jay and Osprey. I don't know what they're gonna turn these things into, and that there. And I think what, um, another thing for me here is I I was really impressed by how both of these guys sort of like won the crowd over. Not saying that like this wasn't a match that people weren't into or whatever, but. Um, you know, Will, who's been there for a few years now, Jay, who's a dojo guy. These aren't these aren't 
two guys who aren't native Japanese going out there main, and main eventing this anniversary show. And in a, in a, in a, pat, in a few, if like in a different year, people would have been losing their shit over this, like just completely complaining nonstop about these two, these two white dudes main eventing the show. But I think Jay, especially but I think Jay and Will, who's like proven their worth as like guys that are here for the long haul. They go out there and, have a match that every that everybody in that arena is super into, and I think does a lot for Will for Will Osprey too. You'll people will point to like the Shingo run as the one that made Will Osprey, and Will Osprey was a was a legitimate star after that. But I think him going out there in this anniversary spot in a guy with a guy that isn't as established as like an Okada, like he was was like he was with last year. I think very much showed that Osprey is here to play. And he's a guy that was going to be a big player going forward, whether whether you liked it or not. Uh, that was your number 34, correct? Yeah. Okay, so my number 33 is a match I'm not sure that you're going to have. It's uh, Cassius Ono taking on Matt Riddle at NXT TakeOver Phoenix. No, uh, you can take it away on here. Okay, uh, so this came early in the year. This is Royal Rumble weekend um, when Matt Riddle was briefly threatening to become one of the top 10 wrestlers of the year and make me eat crow on uh my 2018 year end list saying that he was never gonna make my list ever again (laughs) um but yeah like he this was like a portion of the year in which he looked really great like this is one of his better performances ever um like real focused and mean and uh authentic in a way that i didn't often get from his stuff on the indies um and of course like cassius ono does an amazing job of like playing up to that and like milking like milking that performance for all it's worth by like bumping and selling for him and especially by um by like his emotional reaction to riddle and like i would tie that into his selling um but like i want to specifically highlight it here like he like he's a guy who is so often like uh cocky and self-assured in his matches and we're going to talk about some of that later with um another one of his matches that i've higher ranked um but here he's just like terrified of riddle from the jump like this is a guy who has his number who specifically in this build to this match um they were talking about the fact that like he's never beaten riddle um and like throughout this match like you see him just like cowering in fear and any little bit of offense that he gets against him is like almost an accident and so like you watch you watch this guy just like pretend to be something other than one of the greatest wrestlers of all time and using that to build up his opponent who is like already like this huge fan favorite this guy who's already had like such a um such a uh, well-received career and and it made for like easily one of the best matches i've ever seen in riddle's career and like one of the better things that that ono has been able to do over the last couple of years so was this your highest ranked ono match for the year no i've got one more ahead of this okay all right so my number 33 uh you said you mentioned having one more ono match this might be the one um i have catch versus tyler Bate from nxt uk october 5th uh-huh, we're going to talk about that, I think, later tonight. All right, we're going to move on then. Okay, so my number 32 is the first of what I imagine are going to be a couple matches that we talk about from Josh Barnett's Bloodsport. It's uh, Hideki Suzuki versus Timothy Thatcher. Um, That's actually my number 32. Okay. Oh, wait, 30, this is actually 32. We got the same ranking on this one? Yeah, that's wild. Okay. So, I haven't done that in years, have we? So this one gets off to a slow start. Uh, I don't think Hideki 
necessarily expected to do a whole bunch of working over this WrestleMania weekend. But um, after a while, he comes to realize that, like, oh, he's in there with uh, an equal and decides to put his working boots on. And it makes for, like, the best Muga match that we've seen in 10 years, maybe yeah. more. Um, it's, like, it's exactly what you expect from that. Like, a lot of a lot of map-based work, a lot of, like, mean striking. Um, and in particular, like, there's this moment where Hideki gets blasted with a European uppercut from Thatcher and he doesn't react to it quite like he doesn't react to it immediately. Um, and then after a second, it's like, ah, shit. Ugh, oh shit. I got to sell this. And it's, it was funny to me to see this guy like tangibly go through the thought process of like, wow, he really rocked me with that one. I have to sell that because <laughs> like, you know, this is Hideki Suzuki. This is a guy whose like entire career has been based around the idea. Like, I am legitimately better than anyone else here. So like, what the fuck do I have to do? And so like watching him, like watching him come to show a lot of respect, um, and take a guy seriously who, despite how much I love Thatcher, like I never expected him to do that too. Like that was a whole lot of fun and it made for, um, a really pleasing match that we also got, uh, the benefit of seeing more of Timothy Thatcher's, uh, skills as the best baby face in the world like watching him get torn apart by this guy who's um, probably a lot more skilled at him on the mat uh, and who like got the chance to like really dominate this match and show us how good Thatcher is working from underneath. Yeah. You mentioned it. You mentioned it here a little bit is that it, it, it did feel like Hideki didn't know what to make of Thatcher at yeah. first. You meant, you mentioned it there is that Hideki is such as a dude that's so driven on his credibility and what he brings uh-huh. to wrestling and him understanding that like no this this is how i understand pro wrestling that if i'm legit i am the one that's gonna look like a, a big fucking tank until someone who i respect yeah. is, gonna, is gonna is gonna make me do otherwise and I, I, that's all i wonder going in like did hideki know who thatcher was and i can't all, imagine he did but I, I feel like i saw i feel like i saw him at least interact with like Walser on Twitter or something, something like something like that before. True, yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know, but like, he really did feel like that. Hideki was came in. He was like, okay, I'm I'm booked to do this thing, whatever whatever the fuck it is. Yeah. And then as it goes on, you're like, oh this this dude knows this dude knows knows what he's doing, mm. and it very much is exactly what you expected as far as like mat work intensity as um the match goes on like a strike the uh the like the pace of it increasing the urgency increasing and everything thatcher being thatcher being incredible and in as a baby face and like it, it was a real dream match thing for me as to where it's like i was super happy to watch it but i was very happy to see that along the lines like more than anything thatcher earned that guy's respect right and i think that's what like that's what thatcher like more than anything like that's like that's what's gonna like be what what drives him or like makes a makes a fan of him happy is that more than like any like you know kayfabe title or, or whatever of you know being whatever company's champion or being crowned as like the best technical wrestler in the world it's like the people that tim thatcher like strives to be like mm-hmm. like respect his craft and from hideki to yuki ishikawa like that would that was a big thing for thatcher in 2019 and mm-hmm. this was this is when i was very happy to see happen 
Uh, that was both four thirty twos, right? Great. Yes. Yeah, that's fucking. That's a weird place. That's <laughs> it's God. <laughs> that's a weird one too. Yeah, like I didn't expect that. Okay, then. Um, I'll go ahead. Then my number thirty one is Kento Miyahara versus Kai from All Japan Pro Wrestling, January third. Well, goddamn, Quentin, that's my thirty one too. No, it's not. This, <laughs> like, is, oh, fuck. <laughs> this is this is all you, dude. Uh. So. They had a match in twenty sixteen in the Champions Carnival. That was more. That was that was uh, Kento working on Kai's leg and every, and everything like that. That I loved. And I thought I thought it was really great. But it was one of the, it was that era of like those uh those single cam Champions Carnival shows. Mm-hmm, and I think it sure. kind of flew flew under the radar. And here we are with the rematch with a rematch of this. And Kai is someone that I've even though I've always liked him. I've grown to like even more over the years. Um, start to really, like really sympathize with the guy and think that you know if people if he got like a fresh slate, people people would enjoy his work more. Um, and here in Kai's first like bit like big shot again, Kento is beloved. The crowd goes the crowd go, crowd cork and goes crazy for him. Uh, worth noting again, this is this is Wrestle Kingdom week, so. You know, oh, all yeah, Japan's getting a really getting yeah, getting a really good hot crowd here for this yeah. triple crown title match. Uh, you know, a lot of influencers, a lot of journalists, and all that stuff in the building here. <laughs> um, but they kind of again they play with what they did in their first match, twenty sixteen, and if Kai has any shot here, Kento needs to have a weakness, and that weakness comes in the form of Kento going for a knee strike when Kai is up against the ring post and Kai and Kento hitting his knee up, up against the ring post. And you see Kai's face just light up. Kai's like, Oh shit. Like, okay. Like, well, so let's, so let's work with this then. And from that, from that moment on, Kai is all over his leg, trying to, trying to ground him, beating that, beating that thing into oblivion. And, even when Kento comes comes back and he's trying to do his usual trying to do his usual motions is clearly bothering him. It is slowing him down. He doesn't have that same whip to to a lot of his uh to a lot of his sequences that he usually does, and it makes for for a really dramatic match, man. It is maybe like the second hottest match from all Japan. I heard I I saw all year, and like that like that says a lot for the one that I have above it, but. It really, it really just shows you how well they these guys work this. Whereas it's fucking Kai. Like mm. no one's like, oh man, like I wonder if Kento Miyahara is gonna lose to Kai this month. Like, like, totally. Like like that. Like this isn't a a challenger that you that if you're watching All Japan is gonna fill you with any kind of like worry or intrigue if he's gonna win it. This is this is Kai. But the, but as this match is working and it keeps going on, you start to believe like, oh my god, like Kai might win this. Kai might actually have a fighting, honest to God chance of beating of beating Kento here, and it's wonderful to see play out. It's wonderful to see Kento eventually put the guy down. But um, one of Kai, one of Kai's best match one of Kai's best matches ever, at least like top three to five for the guy. And sure. I, I was just stoked to watch to watch it. And there was there was a big there was a big part of Kento's year, man. Uh, working with these people. You know, like like Kai and like Atsushi Aoki, where realistically, like they don't have like a like a real chance of beat of beating him. But 
working it in a way where you watch like as you're watching it and going on you're like oh my god you might they might actually pull this off and i think that's an underrated aspect of kenzo like being vulnerable in these matches when he's like coming when he's going in looking so teflon hmm. yeah i didn't i didn't care for this thing um and i don't necessarily care to talk about it a whole lot either even though it's it's it might come up in my discussion of a match just a couple minutes down the line um Instead, I'll talk about a match that you had ranked on your list already. It's Thomas Shire versus Gary J from St. Louis Anarchy's Hog Wild. Yeah, I had that earlier on my list at 85. So this is like the, um, I guess you described this as like the dic- the dictionary definition of a banger, of uh, of a hoot, perhaps, of a, a, a slobber knocker, if you will. Um, easily, probably the best performance I've seen from either guy. Uh, up to this point uh i'm gonna have one thomas shire match above this but i think he's a lot stronger here than he was in that match um it's one where they both like they catch like a lightning in a bottle and manage to crest off of like an insane wave of momentum uh coming off of a coming off of an unforeseen injury uh shire gets busted open with a headbutt here gets busted open hard way and just leaks like a faucet like tons of blood everywhere. Honestly, this is one of the bloodiest matches I've ever seen, which I think coming from me actually does say a little <laughs> to say a lot. Um like the ring the ring and especially like the ringside area like looks like a crime scene when this match is done. Um and these guys manage to take the natural excitement of that all unfolding and push it into like a really fun, fast paced match that um has just like some truly unbelievable stuff like at one point shire hits uh, a ufo like a big argentine backbreaker toss i guess uh onto like two or three rows of chairs out on the floor like just steel folding chairs and linoleum and gary j takes it in the most painful looking way in the world it looks like he's dead afterward and the other guy is the one who's like leaking like a fucking faucet um and there's just like it's this builds to like sort of an underwhelming finish that I don't necessarily hate in theory. Um, but like everything up to that is like one of the most thrilling and eye opening matches that I saw in all of 2019. It was the thing that immediately cemented both of these guys on my wrestler of the year list. And it was something that like influenced me, like pushed me to make sure that I saw more of them moving forward. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure there was a more impactful match on the, on the U S Indies. Like more, like more like, like the, like this one, this was, No, Thomas Shire isn't a new guy, which like which was something that um, you know our, our pal Sam, our Overlord Sam over here at the We Don't Know Wrestling Podcast Network, um, hey boss, so, yeah, so something that something they made sure to point out is that it's not like Shire's new, but like, for, like the stars just aligned for him this year, and especially you know when you start bleeding buckets, you know <laughs> that's, like that, that's gonna that's gonna take you far, but yeah, really, I, I love this match, I loved how like it sort of turns shy they, it, it turns shire babyface but they kind of run away from it eventually down the line but i i really i really enjoyed how shire comes in like all in his high horse and he's gonna make gary J bleed and all this stuff mm. and shire just leaves this like like covered in his own blood and mm. as the match goes on you feel the tide shift like okay like shire's a heel boo but Damn, well, this guy just bled a ton for us, and right. you know, like that, like that was a big game changer for him. And 
yeah, like this could have easily been high, been higher, and I I can see this being like a number one contender for some people. But sure, yeah. Um, so my number thirty again, Surefire Brock number one. So I don't need to even go into this, but it's Kazuchika Okada versus Sonata from the G One Climax August third. What are you? Are you <laughs> fucking kidding me? <laughs> How did this make your list? Listen, listen, listen. All right. <laughs> so not as good at everything. So I don't want... I'm going to take the headphones off. They're, I'm done. You talk. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. Brock legitimately took his headphones off while we were doing I hope you're this. telling them I took my headphones off. Now, the first two Sonata and... Okada matches in 2019 were complete dog shit. They were awful wrestling matches. The New Japan Cup match is an awful match. The Pro Wrestling Dantaku match is an awful match. These are matches that I think are really bad and so bad that people started saying that, hey, is Okada's body is Okada's body broken down? <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, Let's, I put the headphones back on. I caught this at the worst time. I'm sorry for also buying into that and and, and joining in on that discussion. I'm sorry. Like that was that was a legitimate thing. Like man, Okada's body. Like is he okay? No, Sonata just fucking sucks. Like, like you know, I like think he sucks too. But you're right. You're right. Um, but it's but here, but we get we get to this match in the G1, and I'm fully prepared to just shit on this match and why do they keep giving Sonata these long matches and I'm fully prepared to do this something happens though Okada once in a while really taps into this taps into that past like in previous smug asshole sometimes in these G1 tournaments sure and that's what happens here in this in this one where if you go back to like the like the Juice Robinson and Kojima matches from the twenty from the twenty seventeen G one, and it's not like as overt as like Okada picking on old man Kojima or right. Okada picking on a mid Carter. This is Okada picking on someone who's like tormented by the fact that he can't beat Okada. So mm-hmm. Nada, who's like usually so even keel, so cool, doesn't react to anything. It really fucks with Sonata that he cannot beat this guy. And Okada relishes in that. Okada loves the fact that he has that he lives rent free in Sonata's <laughs> head. <laughs> and he's talk he's talking shit to him, berating him. And the big thing here with Sonata, as much as I don't like watching the dude wrestle, his crowd connection's undeniable. Whatever it is, the crowd loves this guy. So as Okada is just berating him and forearming him and going back and forth with him, the crowd is living and dying by these exchanges. The crowd is living and dying by the fact that they want to see this guy finally beat Okada in a way that is almost comparable to Naito, honestly. Like, it really is. Like, the like the way that these people are so ready for Sonata to get this, to get this win, it's unbelievable. And I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people in the building had the fear like, oh no, Sonata's not going to beat him. He's going to get the draw and Sonata's not going to get his big moment. But time's winding down, getting down to the last few minutes and Sonata, and Sonata gets that last moonsault. 
Yes, that last moonsault connects one, two, three, and the crowd explodes. One of the best moments of the year. And as for as for as much as like I think that their particular like way of doing these New Japan reversals and transitions kind of sucks and looks shitty, and it's not like it's not ideally the way that I would like that style to look. Sure, it, the, everything else on like a ma- like on like a macro level is just so strong and immense that. I can't not have it on here. If you're looking for the biggest crowd reaction of the year, this is up there, maybe like top five of the year. Not even, not even in a hyperbolic way. If you're looking for a really strong performance by like the lead guy in the company, this is as good as you'll find. This is as good as you'll find anywhere in the in the world this year, I think. And Sonata, you know, this leads to him getting another fucking title match in October. It sucks. But like, but again, for this for this moment, for this moment in time in August, on the third, you know, it's Okada pulls a rabbit out of the hat, and the crowd is special for it. And I I couldn't imagine not having it on my list. Where was this? This was early in the tournament. This is um no, it was the um August third. So like, this is like the last like closing stretch of the tournament. Really? Okay. Yeah, I think. You, but uh, you don't you don't know where this was uh no god damn like yeah i have i could not tell you where this was okay i was just wondering like it might have been one of those one of those like did, did really you hot see LIG any of the okada sonata matches uh i okay i watched the first title match they had in 2018 and then okay um i saw a clip from one of them that was actually like, okay, I kind of get why someone might be into Sonata. Like, it was just like a specific moment of him, like, acting real big and cool that, for once, really did click with me. Um, outside of that, uh, well, no, and then I watched their, um, I watched most of their New Japan Cup match this year. And Oof. other than that, I think it's been nothing. Yeah, like I said, I, I watched every other, I watched every other match they had. <laughs> you know, so legitimately Jesus. hate these matches. <laughs> like, but, you know, yeah, miraculously, this one just like, it's, it's a, yeah, I get it, it. It won, it won the, it won the, it won the Tokyo, Tokyo sports match of the year. Like, it's, like, again, really? this one? And, that, and that's not, yeah. I know, it might have been the, it might have been the title match. Actually. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like those are usually kind of gimmicked. I, it would be surprising to me that a that a G one field match would make it. Yeah, 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 totally. I definitely uh, misspoke there. But like, it's it's a, it's if for in in its own way, it's a special match, man. It's it's hard. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Uh, my number thirty, hopefully, is not something that's going to make you so mad that you take off your headphones. <laughs> it's a uh, Jonathan Gresham taking on your friend and mine, New York Bob, Robbie Eagles at PWG The Hand of Doom. Yeah, I love this match. Uh, didn't think of it highly enough to consider for the 100, but clearly you are enamored by this. Yeah, like, I, these two guys have matched up so well in the shockingly few matches that they've had so far. Um, these are maybe my two favorite technical wrestlers these days, at least among people who are also, like, high flyers, like people who aren't just doing technical work. Like, um, I think these guys are like some of the best ones out there. Like the kind of guys who can blend technical stuff with some high flying with some spottier stuff. Um, as well as just like a wide variety of technical wrestling from around the world and like pulling from those like respective flourishes from Lucha Libre, from world of sport, from Japanese junior nineties, junior heavyweight nineties stuff. Um, 
I think these guys are fantastic at putting that all together and making it feel refreshing and fun as opposed to like tired and boring the way that like most PWG matches are. Like this is God, this is this has to be the best PWG match I've seen in years because it's like the least PWG match that I've seen them put on in a long time. Like it's it's only like 14 minutes, it's really quick. It is shockingly low key like if you um, if you put together like a highlight reel of what happens in this match, like it doesn't compare to any of the shit that like anybody else on this card was doing. Um, and it like, you talked earlier about Kento Miyahara versus Kai, uh, a match I really disliked. Uh, you know, a big part of that was just like the way that I felt, um, Kento's, the, the legwork being done to Kento, like felt really, um, uh, convenient, and was used in a very obvious way just to milk for drama. Um, and these guys approach like a similar idea in that like Gresham uh, dominates most of the early part of the match with his arm work on Robbie Eagles. And eventually Bob is just like, fuck, like I have to, I have to do something here or else I'm dead in the water. And so he goes to uh, a regular tactic of his and goes after Gresham's knee. Uh, doesn't get to do a whole lot of it. Like, um, isn't, you know, he, he isn't just like cranking on a Boston crab for, for minutes at a time. Like it's just a little bit of stuff. Um, but it's the sort of thing that like over the course of the match, as Gresham like does more and more stuff as he's like running around, like it's, it's starting to bother him more and more eventually to the point that like he just goes for a forearm and his knee buckles and it feeds right into the finish. Like, um, I think Bob catches him with a super kick, hits his finish, Gresham kicks out goes up top does a 450 onto the knee and then applies like a inverted cloverleaf kind of thing like an indian deathlock and gets the tap out um and i loved it it was the kind of thing where it was like oh like this wasn't this wasn't the sort of leg work that was going to be milked for a ton of drama down the stretch it's not the sort of thing where like gresham uh is doing all sorts of spots and then goes back to selling his leg as if he's dying as if the thing needs to be amputated right now in the ring um, it was the sort of thing that like built over time that he did like um, did a good job of like selling increasingly big um, like going from uh, like just kind of running the ropes a little more slowly to eventually just like the whole thing buckling underneath him. Um, and it made for like a really convincing finish where it was like, oh, Eagles like put in this work. It wasn't a ton of work, but it eventually paid off in the end and he pounced on it in the perfect way and it got him the finish. Like it was, it was everything that I look for in a technically best based match. And it was in like the last place that I ever expected to get it from. And it was just, it was such a fun thing. In, in defense of Kento and Kai though, when they're in their approach to the leg work is that it was completely approached. Like it was a accident and a like pure stroke of luck that, sure. that, that Kento does when I'm hitting his leg on this ring post. So I guess for in that respect, that's why I'm like, I'm more forgiving of like Kai using it as like an out and like more, yeah, and like, more as like a crutch in the situation. Cause it's not like he introduced it purposely for sure. But like at the same time, it becomes like the focus of the match. And like, that's yeah. like, that's really my issue with it is like, it becomes the focus of the match in that um, it's the thing that the, that most of the rest of the spots they do revolves around, but it never stops them from having the same match that they would have otherwise. Right. But with, with something like this, like it, it's, it's not milked in that same way. And so like when these guys do do other things and then it pops up in a very specific way that leads to the finish, that leads like immediately to the finish too. It's not something that they milk for another 10 minutes. Like I, I appreciate that a whole lot more. 
All right. Well, Brock, I have a match that, like, judging based off your just visceral re- visceral reaction to what oh, Okada boy. Sonata just uh, Okada Sonata. Um, kind of scared to see scared to see how you react to this one. <laughs> going to shut off Skype. <laughs> at twenty nine, I have Rocky Romero versus El Fantasma from the Best of the Super Juniors, May twenty fourth. <sighs> okay, if if nothing else, I'm a little more receptive to this one. Because it's at the very least, at the very least, I like Rocky. (laughs) But but like that's the thing is like if you're a Rocky fan, like this is a really cool moment, man. Um, Uh huh. El Fantasmo has come in to New Japan, just fucking terrorizing the company. Um, like really hype debut. Oddly enough, like a a ton of vignettes. I was I was really confused as to, as to why they were putting so much effort behind El Fantasmo, and he beats he was he winds up beating Will Osprey um in the in the first in the first Corican show, so after that I'm like man fuck like yeah is LP gonna win this fucking tournament like like, like yeah what, that was what a are we sk- doing that was, here? yeah but you know Rocky Romero comes to save the day and. Rocky's a guy that, you know, like like a lot of people we've like, like a lot of people we've mentioned so far, like on like on this list, especially a guy like like a like a Mark Haskins or whatever, who I don't think his sure. like, history is going to treat very kindly. I think it's going right. to be Rocky. Well, you know, we have a friend, you know, our guy, our guy, our guy Evan, who's been on Psychology as in the past, who fucking loathed Rocky Romero in the times that he had seen him, which had been like current New Japan. So as as Evan is going through the you know the quote unquote peak ROH years from 2002 to 2005, he is infatuated with Rocky Romero. He's like, holy shit, mm-hmm. this guy this guy is incredible, mm-hmm. and that's part of why like I love a match like this so much is that Rocky may be like super goofy super stick heavy he might yeah. be this he, he might be have been the same thing for the last like give or take 10 years of his wrestling now yeah but when rocky gets a chance rocky knocks it out of the park and this perfect this is this is perfectly land, like landing like as a well as like on that on that pro, on that baby face heel dynamic scale as ELP, who's come in really strong and doing this like shithead heel gimmick, and it's really the best work he's ever done. Um, honestly, at, at least at least the crowd, like at least the crowd cares about what he's doing. At least at yeah. least there's investment there, and it and it makes for a really strong atmosphere as ELP is just clowning him and clowning him and clowning him, and he's super arrogant. And Rocky Romero saves the day, makes this makes this guy tap out. And all of Kirkin re- rejoices, and it's one of the most feel good moments of the year, man. Like, I have no pleasure in having an El Phantasmo match this high on my match of the year list. I totally. hate the fact that there's an El Phantasmo match this high on my match of the year list, but it's such a great moment for a guy that does like you know, for lack of a better word, deserves a moment like that. That has, right. you know. Has had tag team partners come and go. Has taken a back seat. Was doing commentary. Um, barely like, done, like never gets title matches. Like a real back burner guy in a company where there's already a ton of people on the back burner. <laughs> and 
he, he like he gets this one tournament where he gets to he gets to he gets to show out and show that he is a guy that's very that's very much worth getting spots like this. And it was just special to see Rocky get that moment in Kurrigan. And he might not get it. He might not get another one again. He still wrestles and everything, but like I don't know right. if he's gonna be. I'm not sure if he's gonna get put in a similar spot to have a match and moment like this. But getting that in 2019, I was super happy for Rocky, and they created a really cool and unique atmosphere where you wouldn't expect Kurrigan to be li- be living and dying by Rocky's every every breath. But mm-hmm. you know, here we are, and it was a sight to see. Yeah, I. I... I I respect this being on your list more than the last match and more than a couple others that I think we're gonna get to, but but yeah, like I, I like Rocky a lot and I'm glad to see him get his moment in the sun. Alright, so we can move on down to year twenty nine. My twenty nine is a, another match from New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh it is Juice Robinson defending the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship against John Moxley on the Best of the Super Junior Finals Day. Yeah, didn't make my didn't make my list. I like the G one match more, but this is still really awesome. Yeah, this was like um, uh, when this got booked, you described it as Brock bait, which is super true. <laughs> it's it's something that very specifically like uh, appeals to like what I enjoy in wrestling, and specifically these guys, like two people just who just, I've... just just blatant pandering at this point. <laughs> Absolutely, like Gato, like really trying to get my vote this year. Um, but yeah, like this is just uh. This is mostly populated by like simple work that is done very well, that is like executed upon very sharply, um, that feels huge thanks to that execution as well as just like the big personalities of these two guys. Um, uh, a lot of it eventually comes down to like a bit of legwork that I think is like really interesting. Um, in that like a big problem I have with a lot of wrestling matches these days, at least ones like revolving around leg work or other forms of limb work is that it often puts people uh, it often puts people in these positions in which like they do stuff that they normally wouldn't do in their matches and what i mean is like the aggressors in these situations are like suddenly pulling out heel hooks when like they've never done a fucking submission move in their life um and thankfully when juice uh goes crashing into the guardrail doing his um uh running senton gimmick uh Moxley doesn't just start immediately applying all these submission holds that, like, he's never once done before. Instead, like, he, like, kicks away at the dude's leg and uses it, um, uses it as, like, an opportunity to outspeed him in a way that he couldn't earlier in the match and goes after it to create openings whenever he needs to. Like, it's, there's, like, legwork in this match. It's not a ton of, like, concerted stuff, but, like, there's legwork that's being done in the way that you would expect from this character. Not just, like, in a way that, like, appeals to some sort of prestige or some sort of, like, preconceived notion about what legwork, quote-unquote, should look like. Um, and I really appreciated that for it, on top of, like, just <laughs> this being, like, a match tailor-made for me. Yeah, like, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, too, is that like, you can appreciate, like, like, yeah, like, the artistic approaches, but at the end of the day, like... Like how like how reacting like, like Jonathan Gresham and Alex Shelley being <laughs> in the ring together, They're like Juice and Mox, like Mox like Mox's first like first endeavor post WWE, and he goes out there and kills it. And yeah. him and Juice beat the shit out of each other, which was like a real surprising thing for me. Like more than anything, is that people again like and again like not like wrongly so, but like really convinced that they'll convince themselves that like, man like Mox works super light. He's right. like, you know, throws these like soft, like these soft ass punches and all that stuff. These bad looking punches, and then like literally the first match after that, 
him and Juice beat the shit out of each other. And mm-hmm. I thought that this really set the tone for what Mox was going to be post-WWE. So, well, I, d- I didn't realize how close we were to ending this shit. Ending this shit. God damn. This, is, this has gone really quickly, yeah. Yeah, like, I'm, I have no problem <laughs> with this. But um, my number 28 is All Out versus Team Sendai. Oh, uh, is it 28? I thought we were doing your 29. My 29 was LP versus Rocky. Okay, so 28, you're right. Um, Do you, do you have this higher? Uh, what was it again? All Out versus Team Sendai from DDT 624. The big trios match. Yeah. No, this didn't make the list. Okay, yeah, I'm actually I'm actually a little surprised by that. I I I, I can imagine like mm-hmm. totally Takashita versus Michael not making it, but I thought this might be your thing. Well, the fact that it came directly afterward and like had it, it like it had I still had a bad taste in my mouth from that match, and the fact that this is still you know Takashita like it it just never really got that going for me. Yeah, totally. Um, I thought this was super fun. I like like. I can see this is I get, I, I, pro, I mean obviously I have it higher but yeah. I can like totally see saying saying this is the best match on the sh- on the show um, sure. colorful like colorful characters here like once you have everyone like all in the ring together you really mm-hmm. see like how much of a like vibrant show this was from from shoot from Shunma to Dash to Chihiro Maiko uh, Yuki Yuji, Yuki Ino Takashita it's like it's a crazy cast of people that are all that are all here and that's i think that's the beauty of these like multi-man tags is that blending in all these personalities sometimes and i think like this is like this is especially the case here i love that i love the action i love all out in their in their brief heel run and they're just isolated isolating dash and everything taking pot taking pot shots at Maiko and mm-hmm. Maiko's just festering over there on, on, on the corner waiting for her tag um not like super dissimilar from that king from that from that king of trios tag that you that you sure. that you really liked a lot just in terms of like really egging, really egging on Maiko but yeah man I, I just love this for like how fun it was! It caps off one of my favorite shows of the year, which was the which was this big, totally. which was this big thing, and yeah, I just I just love the action and the way and the way they approach this. It's the most I've liked. It's most it's the most I liked to hero all year. Uh, Maiko is just this ultimate ass kicker when she when she come when she comes in and gets to clean house, mm-hmm. and the Chihiro and Eno interactions are fantastic, and there's just a lot of energy and fun in this match. And if I had to tell anybody to watch one match from from that All Out versus Sendai show, it wouldn't sure. it wouldn't be Takashita versus Michael, despite how much I like it. It would absolutely be the trios. Yeah, it was a big fun thing that I wish I wish I just came at in a different way, but unfortunately, I didn't. Um, um, and, yeah, eventually, you know, like like you know, projects and all that shit. Like maybe you come back come back down this down the line and like this sure. thing. Uh, I'll tell you what I did like though. It's this uh, two hundred five live match uh, pitting Drew Gulak with the WWE, uh, the WWE Cruiserweight Championship on the line uh, versus Oni Lorkin in a rematch of their SummerSlam match. Uh, what like two days later? Yeah, I didn't see this. So tell me about it. So if you'll recall correctly, uh, earlier I described how Gulak won their SummerSlam. Uh, pre-show match with a punch to the throat and uh, Lorkin is still feeling it here a couple days later and does kind of an amazing job selling it 
like um gulak recognizing like when a good thing is going um decides to go back to it and starts just slamming this dude throat first into the ring announcer's table and the top rope and and just like going after it in like the the most vicious way possible um and Lorkin sort of like drops the ball with it sometime later like i wish i wish it became more of a thing like he couldn't um say for example like maybe he couldn't run the ropes because like he just couldn't get that much air into his lungs because of his throat or something but like in the moment him selling this match like or selling these moves in this match like he was the most convincing that i've ever seen him like he's never been a guy that i thought like oh yeah like biff Busick, oni lorkin like a great seller but like he totally pulls it out here um in specifically with like a um something like i mentioned earlier with like uh james mason versus zach saber jr like you there are certain certain things that you see in wrestling that you're like okay like i can approximate that like i felt something like that before like i recognize what that looks like and how it can be done in a phony way and like you know your average person is definitely going to understand what throat pain looks like and like watching oni approach something like that something really uh dicey something really tricky and totally knocking it out of the park was like the most amazing thing to me and on top of that like this is still a gulak versus oni match like this is still two dudes i love beating the snot out of each other like you get um you get a reappearance of like of gulak's like cowardice that was like a fun thing in that little that SummerSlam match and it's just it's everything i want from these guys with like the added bonus of like some of the most interesting um I can't say limb work, I guess, but like some of the most interesting body part work that I saw in all of 2019. Yeah, like we, we touched on it before, but I didn't I didn't get to see much of this gulag gulag stuff and everything from two from 205 and what they were doing, even if it was like if it was like a super brief period that lasted like maybe like a month or two. Yeah, it wasn't that long actually. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's definitely something that I want that I want to go back for eventually for other for other purposes. Um, my number 27 then is a match you mentioned a little bit ago, but it's Cassius Ono versus Timothy Thatcher from Progress Chapter 99. Oh, interesting. Okay. You take it away then. Um, Watching all of Ono's NXT UK stuff, I very much knew what to expect from from, from this iteration of the match as a, after, after it got announced. And I realized like the changes that Ono, that Ono had made. Um, mm. Not being as strike-heavy, and going for something that, you know, quote unquote, more typically British, since he is the best British wrestler alive. Sure. Uh, <laughs> and it start it starts off that way. It starts off like bring you into this false sense of security. Like there's like there's gonna be a cute fun match. Like, oh, these guys are old pals, they're gonna come out there and just have a good old grapple. And it is like that. And then kinda remember that Thatcher's better at grappling than Cashisono. <laughs> And the catch just Ono was, you know, kind of a dick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just a size that, yeah, uh, it, 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 it leads to this really fun, like, really fun exchange that goes horribly wrong as right. Ono has Thatcher's leg in the air and Thatcher's smiling like, all right, you know, come on, put it down. And Ono feigns like he is and then just... No, just kicks his other leg. Just <laughs> really, br- really brutal way. Really mm. nasty and mean. And like, you know, I'm, like obviously, like Brock, like your your knee problems are very infamous with people who yeah. listen to this podcast. <laughs> and all I could think of when I saw when I saw, oh no, kick his leg was, mm. oh no, Brock, how's he gonna react yeah. to this? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and it 
it just like leaves the just just booze start raining down this and and Ono is just he's he's so good man he completely mm. reinvented himself from this guy who's like like yes like very sure that he's the best wrestler in the world right. and acted like and wrestled like he was the best wrestler in the world because beating him was then an accomplishment based on how totally. good he was in the match and then he turns himself he turns himself in this this delusional character who is very much is the best wrestler in the world but he portrays it in such a way where it's like oh this guy's such a piece of shit this guy is so full of himself this guy is so full of his own shit about like how good he is and it's like not super dissimilar from like a from like a from like a Zack Sabre Jr. character or like a Ric Flair character of mm-hmm. like getting frustrated when someone is better than you mm-hmm. and that's exactly what we get here. I, I really like the leg work here, the leg, the leg cranks and everything. Thatcher isn't the guy that goes for like that, you know, quote unquote, vanity selling stuff very often. So when Thatcher is in a position where he's selling that way and really, really going all in with like this, like the leg is the story and him being severely wounded is the story. Thatcher, you know, he commits to it because that that's what Thatcher is. Thatcher commits to his ideas and mm-hmm. what the match is going to be more than just about anyone in wrestling that we've seen this decade. And he gets up and he he rises up and you think that Thatcher is going to go like turn this into this like this big comeback and he starts tries to charge at him and he just crumbles. Mm-hmm. And again, like it's so impactful because okay, like say if Will Ospreay does this right. Well, Osprey's a guy that that's how he sells. He sells in such exaggerated ways like that that it's not going to hit you the same way because totally. he does that all the time. That's not Thatcher. So when Thatcher gets up, you don't expect Thatcher to crumble, and like that, like that is what makes like stuff like this so fucking great to me. And mm-hmm. Thatcher winning in such a in a and with that flash submission and the way the crowd the way the crowd erupts, it's. This is is perfect pro wrestling to me. I don't think this is this could have been any any better laid out. And like I like I obviously aside from like a phenomenal Ono performance from like a technical and just personality standpoint, Thatcher is a master of like understanding that like the little deviations of like your formula and your character can go a long way. And him selling this way in this match is like a perfect example of this. Yeah, broadly speaking, I'd agree with, like, everything you'd say here. Like, I did really like this. This, like, ended up in, like, the 40s for me or something. Um, And it was, like, a rematch of uh, a matchup that, like, a couple years ago was, like, one of my favorite things going on in wrestling. Um, But this one, I don't know, this one, like, sort of disappointed me in some ways. Like, you you talked about how they start with this really, uh, like, breezy, lighthearted exhibition sort of style. um, That was not necessarily bad in any sense, but, like... Um, took up like such a large chunk of the match that by the time they get to this flash uh, flash submission at the end like I kind of feel like I've been not necessarily cheated out of like seeing more stuff from this matchup that I haven't seen in years but like it, it just leaves me kind of going like oh like this was this like there was just less to this thing than I was looking for um, and that's not to discount what we get what we get is like as good as anything that these two have ever done together like it's some amazing work from Ono like really stretching his legs in a way he hasn't in a long time um, which we're going to talk about again here in a few minutes um, and Thatcher like being the best baby face in the world like someone who's so endearing and so believable in everything he does um, but at, just at the end of the match I was just like ah man like I wanted more from this 
Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, totally. I think I can. Yeah, I really understand that. Uh, I guess, I guess that's for me is like kind of the beauty in Ono's 2019. Even like, 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 like beyond like one exception where he just gets to go go out there and just like do whatever the fuck he wants for like mm-hmm. for like for like nearly half an hour. But like, that's Ono's 2019 though. Is that like eight minutes, nine minutes? Maybe right. ten, maybe ten minutes, but he's going out there and like making the absolute most of his time here. And this goes maybe like fifteen, sixteen, I think seventeen. Yeah, I just looked it up. So like, it's like it's like again, like almost nearly double than like the, the amount of time that Ono usually was getting at NXT UK. So right. yeah, like man, Thatcher, Thatcher, and Chris Hero, these two were incredible in the past. Like I just want to see them go out there and just like really properly like blow this thing off here and. Mm. I don't know. For me, it just it just fits into what Ono's year was. So, like I didn't have the same problems, but I totally I totally get that. I yeah, I think that's fair too. Uh, but it's funny enough that my number twenty seven is the exact match that you were alluding to. It's Tyler Bate taking on Cassius Ono from NXT UK's episode airing uh, November the thirteenth. Yeah, and this is phenomenal. I had this. Where did I have this down at? Um, it's like the thirties somewhere. I think. Yeah, I had this at thirty three. Okay. Um as you were saying, like, this is like, this is really where Ono on a show that no one is watching gets to do just whatever the fuck he wants. Like has this like pretty long match, um, especially for like a TV show, um, has a pretty long match with Tyler Bate and just totally decimates him. Like totally looks like the best wrestler in the world, stretches his legs and stretches this kid in ways that we haven't seen him do in quite a long time. Um, not even just stretching him, just like, just like weird, just weird petty shit. Just to do yes. for, just to do for no reason at all, <laughs> like endless trash talking, like just destroying, like <laughs> murdering his family, raising his crops, like just totally <laughs> decimating poor Tyler Bate, like making him look a fool, um, doing that like what was it? What was the big flippy thing? The back body drop? Was that all it was? Yeah, I think so. And like doing something as like simple as a back body drop and making it look like it killed the poor boy. Like it, it was just, it was such a great thing to watch this guy, like chew the scenery and just totally ruin somebody else. Um, and then toward the end, like making me believe in this tiny little kid, like coming back on him and actually beating him convincingly in the end. Um, I have like a lot of problems with Tyler Bate. Uh, I especially dislike everything he's done in the quote unquote, big, strong boy gimmick. Um, but when he has a match with a larger opponent that like builds to a finish of him, like pulling off this one big power move against him, um, like he does here, like he finally gets the Tyler driver on this dude who like is basically two or three times his size. Like it makes for like such an awesome finish. Um, like one of my favorite finishes, of the year. And it's like nothing more than a move that I've seen him do like, you know, dozens of times at this point, but like the way they build to it and the way the entire course of the match goes, like it's, it's such a rewarding thing. Yeah, totally. I think, I think that was definitely a part of it. They got like lost going into, um, it's like, like Walter versus like Walter versus Tyler, where there are these really cool spots based off Tyler's size and being smaller, but something like something like that struggle to lift Walter up is it really explored the same way that it is here with Ono. And if I recall correctly, I think that was part of why you had a, I think you had Tyler versus Wolfgang on your, yes. on your, on your list of 2017. Very much so. Like it, it follows a similar formula of like of Wolfgang really making him work for that stuff. And when it finally, when he finally able is able to lift him at the end, like it feels like such a huge thing. All right, so 
My number 25 is a match you haven't said yet. So I'm uh, 26. My number 26, my bad, because 26 yeah. is where we're ending off this podcast. So mm-hmm. my number 26 is a match that you haven't said yet. So I'm going to assume that we're going to talk about that on the next installment of this series. But my number 26 is Blue Demon Jr. versus Dr. Wagner Jr. from AAA, um, from AAA, Triple Mania, August the 3rd. Yeah, we're going to talk about that on our next podcast. And instead, we're going to talk, um, we're going to finish out with a match that I don't think you even saw. It's Johnny Kidd taking on Daryl Allen in a British Rounds match from the debut show of Pro Wrestling Soul. I tried to see this. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't find, I don't know if it was on YouTube anywhere where I could yeah. find it. It was? Yeah, it was just free on YouTube. Okay, yeah, yeah I, I could not find this match, but I meant to see this. So yeah, take it away. Um, so we talked about, this is the highest ranked of all of my British wrestling matches. Um, I think, I think both in that, like it's the highest ranked match from Britain, as well as like the highest ranked match of that British, British style that I like a whole bunch. And we've talked about like the different things that I like about it, um, throughout these last two podcasts. Um, and this one like follows along in a lot of those same traditions, uh, starts with like a real pleasing, like exhibition run where, uh, Johnny Kidd, like this bona fide legend of this style, like one of the last living legends of it, um, is just like playing the hits against a kid who is, uh, who is like clearly knows his way around the style, um, but is like happy to just like uh, play deference to this legend, like just doing his thing. Um, and it slowly escalates over time as Alan like tries to prove his worth against like this huge name opponent um and kid like slowly um pushing back against that like in a real natural way as like he's getting more pissed off at this dude like taking pot shots at him and it like it escalates in this intensity in a way that like i don't think you get in a whole lot of other wrestling um in that like stylistically these guys start out at like such a a lower level like most of what they're doing is just like simple map based stuff um is is like a lot of like comedically based stuff is the sort of like fun um carnival barker like tricks and twirls um and then eventually they they like grow into like hitting each other in the liver like you know like hitting these like boxing liver shots and and like boxing each other's ears and whatnot um and it sounds like on paper, it sounds like the sort of thing where it's like, oh, so they just wasted my time for 20 minutes and didn't do a whole lot before eventually starting to do cool moves. But, like, I want to argue that, like, most other matches start at a, at, start at, like, such a theoretically higher level where they're doing, like, a lot more physically intense stuff that, like, there's not, outside of, like, really getting stiff with things to, uh, oftentimes to, like, an unsafe degree, um, outside of stuff like that, like, most other matches don't have the room to grow into something a little bit more that like this match made full benefit of, of, of like of suddenly in like round four, like these guys like really teeing off on each other in a way that um, built up naturally over time and um, led to a finish that I thought was also like tied that together in a nice little bow of like Daryl Allen connecting with this Enziguri, like this move that's like a lot more, um, not more like physically intense than anything else that they've been doing throughout the night. Something that like Johnny kid probably was not going to run into back in the world of sport days. And like, it totally, it totally hits him in the perfect way that like Allen's able to roll him up and, and get the second fall and, and win this match, like win this huge match against a much bigger name. And like, I loved how it wrapped up that way. Like I loved how like this all, um, 
built up to a crescendo and then actually had the good sense to like end on that crescendo before it ever had the chance to peak and then go back down. <laughs> yeah, I def I definitely see and understand that. And, and it sounds like something I would really enjoy too. So yeah, totally. You should definitely watch this. Um, just just to just to ask, obviously Johnny Johnny Kidd had a little bit of a like a little bit of, of a farewell and Chikara and Chikara when the last time they did mm-hmm. the uh, King of Trios in England. I was just wondering what what did you think of Johnny Kidd's like, just like like that like stuff that you saw throughout the decade. Like he's because he seems like a, he's a guy that pops up on your like pops up on your stuff like mm-hmm. a few times when we do when we do these lists. So what like what are just like larger thoughts on like Johnny Kidd's like in like what he gave you in the twenty tens. I mean, he's great. He's one of those guys, like, I'd compare him to a, a William Regal in that, like, he doesn't show up a lot, but, like, when he shows up, he's doing stuff that is really meaningful to me, that really appeals to me stylistically, as well as, like, tonally. And, like, he might not be a guy who's going to top out my top 100 wrestlers of the decade list, but, like, uh, it it would be weird to leave him off. Yeah, I think I think even more so than, like, I might not, like, have the same reverence of, like, of this or the quack match or... Any right. of the, or any of the other stuff that like you were like like so infatuated with, but yeah, Johnny's a guy that like if I if I go for like that ninety to one hundred, like he's so fun. It's like I, I can mm-hmm. I can't imagine like not having him. But look, fifty to twenty six, <laughs> yeah, only two and a half hours. We did. Yeah. we made really we made really good time here. Um, yeah. obviously we're about to get into the home stretch here. The matches that theoretically we feel the strongest about. Mm-hmm. So, Brock. Obviously, thank you for your time here. I will be seeing you very shortly to do part three of this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll be here next time. Bye.